0: So, yeah, what about the Japanese trees and the bumblebees? Japanese trees and the bumblebees. Right. My favorite Kishibashi album. <laughs> yes. uh. God, honestly, if that dude wrote a like an album, a concept album about environmentalism and Japanese trees and <laughs> Japanese bees, I would buy it on both. I would buy it on CD just so that I had an extra media to have it on.
1: CDs about the. CDs about, about the trees and, and bees. The okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't fucking know. I don't know. Charles, how's your week going? Solid. Just solid. That's it. That's what we got. That's no, good. It's a great week. <laughs> it's a busy week. There's a lot, lot of things going on, but that's good. Well, we did uh we we I have to admit it, the echo, and the older I get, the echoes of what I do on a random night, uh the echo lasts longer. You know, it used to just be it was like for a couple hours and then you're good. Uh, Charles and I got up at 3 a.m. on Saturday morning, late mm-hmm. Friday night, to our service industry people. And uh, you took a second to to adjust on that. Well, I took too. a couple of weeks to learn <laughs> what that was. was like, like well, listen, it's like
1: morning. It's the next morning. Yeah.
0: Well, here's here's my problem, and and looking at at, at our guest and our other guest who is off mic, <laughs> uh, service industry folk. I feel like when I process. When somebody says like Saturday at 3 a.m., that is the 3 a.m. after midnight at the end of Saturday. Right, right. And that is an echo (laughs) of my service industry life. And uh, I did not understand that 3 a.m. Saturday actually means late Friday, which makes all of the sense in the world. I get that that's what they meant because they're talking to normal humans across the globe. But when I heard that there was a wrestling pay-per-view in Perth, Australia, that was happening at 3 or 3.30, like the pre, pre-game starts 3 or 3.30, uh, on Saturday, I was just like, oh, cool. Well, then I'll just spend Saturday cooking, <laughs> and then in the middle of the night, we can eat food. Turns out, no, that's, uh, that's late Friday, early Saturday. So we both worked full workdays, and then I took a nap. I don't even know, did you? At night? Before wrestling,
1: yeah. Okay. Yeah, I I went. I I probably fell asleep around
0: eleven. Okay. I did ten thirty to two, and then I which woke- is
1: a good thing because our guest for the live stream was nerdy, and he somehow thought we were going to be there all night. I think. Yeah. So what happened? Because he, you saw a text from him when he woke up.
0: Well, I texted him. <laughs> so when I figured this out. And shout out, shout out to Nerdy. Go back and listen to that episode; it's incredible. After you finish this one,
1: it's a live stream. It's on our Instagram.
0: Well, but also go back to listen to his episode because his episode he's all, incredible yeah, for sure. Uh, huge wrestling fan. I texted him on Friday when we figured this out, and he did not see that until he woke up on late Friday slash early Saturday. Yeah, yeah. So, I had my alarm set for two. I think two forty was what I set it at. Two thirty nine. Multiple of 13, I'm a weirdo. And I woke up at 2.07, like, and And 100% was like, oh my God, did I oversleep? Did I miss it? What the fuck? And I look at my phone, not even there yet. Cool, while I look at my phone, I see him. Oh, uh, no, actually, I'm already on my way there. And I'm like, oh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I had to figure out, out of a dead sleep, three and a half hour nap, Jump in the shower, get dressed, get all the food together, get in uh, get in my car, head down. As I'm cruising down there, he's already just hanging out on a street corner. So I convinced him to meet me at Nicollet Diner because they're 24 hours. Uh, to anybody who comes through the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, I cannot recommend, if you are into spelunking into the human experience, uh, swing by Nicolet Diner. In just outside of downtown Minneapolis, at three to three thirty a.m. on a weekend night, and uh, beautiful. If you could take, <laughs> if you could take like a Quentin Tarantino overnight breakfast diner scene, and merge it with Mos Eisley from Episode Four in Star Wars, you have the Nicollet Diner. Uh, I'm talking security <laughs> pat downs. People doing roasts of other guests while they're eating, and the, the roasters are waiting to eat. Uh, the biggest pots of coffee. If you order a coffee, you just get a pot to go with it. Uh, amazing. Uh, ice cream shakes that are literally like twenty five ounces. Like it was. It was wild. Just like a, a different look <laughs> at the late night. I'm always used to the bar and after bar shit. I, I am not used to the folks that just want some good protein, go get some good eggs, even out whatever, whatever chemical equation you've put together into your system, like figure out how to get through it. Mm. Uh, a guy crying about not being able to get a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Like there's a whole lot of things going on there. It's common, yeah. Yep. Wow. And then basically... We got- uh, They're used to that. Yeah, we got a couple of things, and then Charles was on his way, and we're like, fuck it, let's go. And then we we made some incredible food. Like, talk about what you had. Made a
1: kimchi Reuben. Mm. I think the delivery of the brisket may have been what made you realize you had the wrong day in mind. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah, so I, I ordered a pastrami brisket from Ugly Drum in Los Angeles. Correct. Fucking fantastic. Best brisket of any sort I've had. Brooke, I told you about that on Saturday, too. Because yeah. was that was later the same day that I saw you at a dinner party. But yeah, so I made a kimchi. I made a, I call it the intercontinental kimchi Reuben because it's a wrestling, little little wink and a nod to wrestling. And it had so many different cultures represented in it. And then Guam made meatball sliders with red sauce, yeah.
0: Yeah, I did a a beef, pork, and veal meatballs that I pan-fried. Meatballs. Meatballs. And then I threw into a San San Marzano tomato sauce with um, fresh-clipped basil, Mm -hmm. uh, onion, garlic, and a few other like fun little twists. Um, I was given a... uh, Uh, Italian seasoning from a friend of mine's garden. Uh, She made her own Italian seasoning and that was what she gave out for the holidays. And I thought that was beautiful. So shout out to Kelly. That was incredible. So I added a bunch of that in there. uh, And then I let that stew for six and a half hours. So the meatballs finished in there. Um, And then before I left, I just did a little like a little grease pull. From the fat that extruded for the meatballs and, and moved them out, but I, f- I thought they ended up really really soft. Yeah, um, very good. No pan uh,
2: fry before.
0: No pan fried them first. Oh, you did? Okay. Yep, and oh, then they went in. Oh. Had to because you got to yeah, get a little yeah. crunch. Right. Um, because of the, I lost a day in my idiocy. I didn't get to make focaccia from scratch, and uh, unfortunately, I used a store bought focaccia that was disgusting. So we threw that away, and uh, I used brioche buns, hmm. and. They actually turned out pretty great. I think because of that, the the Reuben with the rye bread, it was like a like a solid chew, mm-hmm. and I think it was kind of nice having the textural opposite mm-hmm. of uh. You can just you can just kind of lean on it a little bit with your teeth, and it's just going to go straight through. Oh, yeah. uh, we had a torch. I tried uh, to torch
1: the bread. I was trying to toast the yep. bread with a torch. It turns out that is. Not very effective. But
0: torch and cheese <laughs> was the cheese. shit. Oh yeah.
1: <laughs> that for sure was gonna happen.
0: Yeah. So we uh every from both of us, every sandwich had fresh torched cheese right on there. And yeah, then and the
1: brisket was hot because I held it all night in oh, an emergent man. circulator, so it was one sixty five. It was
0: bonkers. That that brisket nice. was so good. Yeah. Like okay. I think I said out loud that makes me never want to make a pastrami again. I'd rather just buy it because if it's oh, going to turn out that good.
1: I will, it, it's not cheap, but for all the time you have to put into making brisket and the odds of the brisket actually being anywhere near that good, just fucking order one.
0: I've done two pastramis on my own, and I would just say I I haven't even gotten close to that, and I would rather not screw up more of them. Yeah. I can do a straight-up like barbecue brisket. I'm fine with that. I'll keep doing that on my own. But for pastrami, like... Look, man, I'm done. Yeah, I keep perfect. traveling the world and having these amazing pastramis, and each one of them is like, hey, you don't have to make this yourself. Like, maybe just order this one. Right. <laughs> I'm like, all right, pastrami. And you know the kimchi
1: was good because it was climbing out of the jar after. It I was. was the, that was the best. It started to do like the what? fermenty bubbling, just like rising. I was on. A, I was, it was like my timer to get the sandwiches done, and I needed to be hurried because the show was about to start. And it was like, if I don't make this, if I don't finish the sandwich in the next thirty seconds, there's just gonna be kimchi juice all over the bar.
0: What I loved is it was it was like a horror movie where like you'd look away <laughs> yeah. and then you'd look back and it was yeah. like a little higher up. Yeah. And then you look and you look back and it's even higher and you're like. <laughs> and finally, I looked at you at one point, and I'm like, "Is is that is that raising out of the jar? And yeah, go, fuck yeah, i us trying to get this shit done." Yeah. Was, it was so amazing. Wild one piece food. of <laughs> what's a wild, oh, wild food? food. <laughs> food yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yep.
1: One piece of housekeeping before we move on, very quickly. If you listen to us on Google, and not many people do on on Google Podcasts, it's going away in March. Mm-hmm. So there are infinite other options. We're on literally everything else. We're on iHeartRadio. We're on Spotify. We're on. Apple. We're on Stitcher. a bunch of tiny. We're on Stitcher. We're on a lot. We're on a lot of small apps that people in other countries listen to us on, which I always find surprising. Like the predominant Lutique apps used. Apps. In, yeah, that's what it's I like a say. predominant app used in India that I found that we track on. So, if you listen to us on Google, please find us elsewhere. Unless you want to quit us when Google quits us, <laughs> then I guess farewell. But it's gonna. It's only a couple of weeks away. So yeah. And uh, while we're talking about breaking bread.
0: Also, just Google Podcasts completely is going away.
1: Yeah, yeah. Not They're no. not working with us anymore. No, they, do, they probably don't like us if they've ever heard us, but yeah. they're, they're just going away. Yeah. But speaking of breaking bread.
0: Hey, hey. segue. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs>
1: what yeah. did you think that was?
0: That's exactly that. Really? It was a segue. <laughs> okay. We're adding drama. It is dramatic, yeah. <laughs> Love it. Go ahead, we man. Have a guest. You're taking it. <laughs> we introduce, have a guest. Introduce yourself what? to
1: the fine listeners. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I'm Brooke Fodry, and super happy to be here. Um, I'm a chef, and I've had a boutique catering company for the last eight years. Um, I do a lot of creative food stuff, <laughs> and yeah. Uh, yeah, worked in restaurants and was a personal chef for a while. Opened restaurants. Um, Went to culinary school in France, and I'm a huge francophile and general. Just I love food and building culture and gathering and talking. So this is perfect.
0: <laughs> I think we are both fortunate enough to have been sitting at uh, a table that she has provided food for for random dinner parties. Correct, Charles? Like you've also yeah, just a couple days ago? Yeah, just ago. recently. Oh. <laughs> it's there's something about like we, we talk a lot and I, th- I think it's one of the very few threads that has made its way through every single episode is that, um, our idea of showing love to the people around us is providing food and providing that moment, providing that time. And, uh, I remember the first time Brooke that I got to sit at a table where you were providing that was at Paul and Laura Hennessy's house. Yes. And, uh, it is something to behold. Like, I, I have to admit, as somebody who considers himself like a, a consummate host, and I love bringing people in, um, your ability to kind of just wrap everybody in the arms of not only your hospitality, but like what you provide is is amazing. And it's something that is is enviable and something that I've actually like changed the way that I look at things a little bit. To try and be better and to prove that fact, uh, you actually showed up here with <laughs> some <Actual> incredible <laughs> bread and, broom and butter. Can you please uh, let our listeners know what they can't possibly have, but yeah. we'll hear about us, hear about from us more.
2: Yeah, I mean, I always say like bread is my calling card. I just love, I think it's like the foundation of, I mean, this is redundant maybe for everyone, but at the same time, it's true. Like it's just kind of a very foundational but essential um, piece of, you know human existence. And, um, it's something I just really enjoy. Um, so this is just a French style sourdough, um, with some French butter. And, you know, it's like I I said, I don't, I can't like show up without something. I, you know, I always feel like it's a gift to be invited or to, you know, yeah, when someone's hosting. And, um, so it's a very small thing for me to be honest, because I make bread all the time
1: we're infinitely thankful. We've this is yeah. uh we're we're almost 120 episodes in. I think like six or seven guests have brought food. We're not shaming the other guests, but <laughs> we're always like, "Ooh, food." <laughs> hey, we got spring rolls last week. Yeah. <laughs> we're on a roll. Yep, we are. Whoever we got next week, if you're listening, step it up. Bring food. <laughs> bring that good good. I used to pretend that uh, there was a while where I convinced myself that I didn't like bread, like whatever bread, who cares? But
0: Mm -hmm. I like I I, I picture you shouting at big bread whatever whatever bread you ain't got shit on me I think I just didn't want to be eating
1: bread all the time so I wouldn't bring it into my home unless I would I had like a specific purpose for it and then you would eat the rest of it at any given time but I think it had to have been three or four years ago I had an awakening where I was like you know what I fucking love bread I'm gonna eat it
2: bread Bad bread exists, you know. So yeah,
0: <laughs> fair. Yeah. It's
2: easy to not be an enthusiast, but
0: but I mean, good, good bread yeah. and good butter. Mm-hmm. Like, come on. Yeah. That's and I was. I, I had this discussion yesterday. Uh, I was uh, literally sitting with two friends of mine who are both vegan, and we were talking about cooking techniques. And I love that I have vegan friends in my life because it's it's pushed me to be a better cook. It's pushed me to learn different recipes and figure out different ways. But at the end of the day, I still have to decide, like, what do I want to do? And there is a path to me not eating meat. I don't think that that would be that hard to navigate. Mm-hmm. There's definitely an easy path to me not drinking milk. Yeah. But boy, I have a tough time, like, eliminating butter and cheese. Right. I don't know... <laughs> God, I just don't know if I could do that. I'm sure I could. I'm sure I could. I shouldn't say I can't. I should just say the joy Mm. that like a delicious pat of butter on a piece of bread brings me is very hard to be like, I shouldn't eat this. I I just, I would have a tough time with that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And there's nothing like really that replaces it. I make a vegan butter for like vegan Mm -hmm. clients and it's actually pretty good. I kind of like it but it's not butter, right.
0: you know? And that's, I think the same thing about cheese. Like there are there are substitutes easily. Mm-hmm. But again, uh, we were eating some funky, funky ass blue cheese. Like blue yeah. cheese that I coughed half an hour later. And that was what I smelled in my <laughs> nose when I coughed <laughs> in the best possible way. Like, I love that. And I just like, there there isn't an alliteration. There isn't a like same, same to that. Right. And that's the thing that I get stuck on. I think that's it. It's not that, like, I understand the ethics and I can definitely peel back all those things. But that is irreplaceable. And I don't know, now having had that, mm-hmm. I don't know if I could be like, I just don't want that again.
1: Yeah. I well, would just go another direction. Just give me some good olive oil. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yep.
2: Yeah. yeah, because it's like, it's also, I feel like when you, I don't know, like, I can go to a little corner store in France and get, like, the cheapest butter and I still want to eat that, like, cheese. Yep. Whereas like, yeah. I never do that with here, butter right. here. I mean, yeah. I can get some good butter here. That's
1: but. probably why it's so common in foreign cultures to slather butter. Not just like a little coating mm-hmm. or melting it, but growing up as a Lebanese kid, you take a loaf of bread and you would just, like cream cheese, spread butter all over it and roll it up, Probably maybe put some herbs in there like some radishes and just chomp on it and treat it like cheese.
0: Totally. I, oh, I, am, I am in on that.
1: Also, let's do that. Yeah, <laughs> <Like> right out.
2: <laughs> totally.
1: <laughs> Hopefully my doctor doesn't listen to this. Don't do that. Yeah, <laughs> not often anyways.
0: <laughs> uh, so you talked a little bit about doing um, like private chefing and all that. Like, can you explain to a listener like how sort of that career comes around and what that entails? Because I think a lot of people don't really understand exactly what goes into private dining and, and all of that.
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I feel like food media has like exploded. And so like there are these windows of like, how does someone make a living doing this? And like you see people having these creative food jobs and it's like, feels really unattainable. And but at the same time, there are like a lot of pockets of people doing cool things with food. And um, I don't know, I I definitely fell into it, which I feel like is a cop out answer, but it's true. (laughs) Um, Grew up in a big family where we cooked and celebrated a lot. And just my mom was a big um like a, she hosted dinner parties like almost every weekend but I never wanted to get into like the food industry it was not, not and I was like no way that's not for me that was my older sister's thing <laughs> um and but you know still like cooking is a life skill mm-hmm. we don't really see it that way oftentimes but and that's the way that like my family approached it so when I was working in interning and doing other things I was like working in like fine arts and media arts um of in late high school early college um, and I just would cook for people again not thinking it was gonna be a career <laughs> um, and then I kind of I fell in love with a European cooking um, I was working with a producer I was working in like media arts at the time um, like production film and industry and he he and I would just like cook together because I loved you know I had that skill set but didn't really have a context for enjoying it in the way. I mean, we mm-hmm. would enjoy it in sure. the sense of like holidays and things like that. But um this producer was from Switzerland and he, you know, really just like taught me about old-world kind of enjoyment processes, enjoying like timeful cooking, and it just I fell in love with it. Um because it was so much more about the experience. And the ingredients and, you know, but like it, way more multi-dimensional um, than what I had experienced. And so still not thinking I was going to do this. Um, my sister decided she was going to open a restaurant, asked me to help her open it. And I was like, sure, I'll give you a year. And that was like 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> almost 10, Yeah, I think it's 10 years ago. So, yeah, I kind of like didn't expect to stay here. But um, through the experience of opening a restaurant... <laughs> very young i was 23 um living we lived above the restaurant it was um called the copper hen in minneapolis yeah and um met um a woman and her family was lo- they were looking for like um someone to cook for them and so i started cooking for their family uh, four nights a week did the whole service and everything and it was really cool because it was like an experience of um being able to work on a very small scale uh they were wanting to ex- introduce good food and like different types of food to their three boys. And so it was like, just like they were like, you know, make whatever you want. Um, Oh, that's nice. Yeah. And I got to really develop kind of my own. I mean, I had my own style, but I think it was like a really a training ground in some ways too, because developed your style. Yeah. And like have my own space to do that. That wasn't, didn't really have much pressure um, involved. And so that was really, really awesome. Um, And I started cooking for another family as well and kind of just naturally started doing events for them. And that's where I really fell in love with it because it was, the day-to-day was like stable, but it wasn't as special as when we were able to do um, like dinner parties for the the clients and their friends. And I had one client that they would every Sunday do um, a dinner party, usually be like 10 people maybe, sometimes more, sometimes less, um, just as an excuse to like, have people over and you know there were just really wonderful experiences of people gathering they were really sure. good people you know and they were ready like good guests I would say that were like wanting to receive um and so yeah I just feel like that I'm really lucky to have been able to have that and it just it is what developed into the boutique catering company that I launched in 2016.
0: It's awesome. Now <clears throat> your partner is also in the room with us. Yeah. Uh, who I also know from the beverage side of things. Yes. Was that an intentional uh split of obligations or did that just come authentically?
2: That's a really good question. We <laughs> met in that like film production industry, um it's like fifteen years ago. A long time ago. <laughs> and um didn't again didn't think I would ever end up working together or like be in hospitality, to be honest. Um and then he moved to Minnesota for me <laughs> and, uh, solid choice for me. <laughs> Yeah. And then, um, actually just developed a love of cocktails on his own. I grew up in a family that did not drink really. I didn't have a culture around drinking. Um, you know, and then when Andrew and I got together, it was like, yeah, you were just, um, really. And in- I mean, it was definitely during the research, like the resurgence of classic cocktails and, for sure. um, you know, mixology. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you were, really that was your hobby. It was Andrew's hobby. Um, so I think like he started working in that industry separate from me, but then we just naturally started hosting together because like, I feel like when you are in hospitality, if you're not doing it personally, it's not really What are you doing? Real. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. it has to be like coming from your heart, right? Mm-hmm. So we just would host together and then he ended up actually working with me for two years, full time with my company, and then, um, and it, I mean, we still work together <laughs> today. Like he works with me all the time, and we also just love hosting in our home.
0: Yeah, it's 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 something. Knowing you both separately, it's something that I I love that you both radiate that same hospitality. It, it's awesome and uh for our listeners out there uh i've talked a lot about iron bartender on the show uh andrew uh brooks partner has been a huge help in everything going on with iron bartender and in raising money and all that so it's uh, it's wonderful to have you sitting next to me on this couch too it's just it's rad to be here uh i just love when good humans find good humans and then mm-hmm. it multiplies you know it's exponential like the the good that radiates radiates out into the world from that
2: yeah, definitely.
0: So, that's awesome. Like Jim
1: Cornette says, it's one of those situations where one plus one equals three. There you
0: go. Mm-hmm. Like we all need that a little
1: bit. Let's uh, let's talk about what we're drinking. Yeah, so we have a bottle of Sipsmith Gin. Mm-hmm. We've had multiple bottles of Sipsmith, but this is just the the OG, w- the OG Sipsmith Gin. One to dry. Uh, Brooke said she likes Negronis, so we made what is what I could call like between a Negroni and a Contessa because sure. we used the gin, we used. Um, Aperol and then Prioret Natur. Vermouth? The Spanish vermouth. It's like a really nice sipping vermouth. It's sort of copper in color. It's got a nice oxidative quality to it. I almost always have it on hand. It's like a $27, $29 bottle. I don't think I've ever used it in a cocktail. But when we were trying to figure out how to build this particular plant in Negroni, I thought it would be a nice fit. I think it works pretty well.
0: I think it works great. That, That vermouth, it's like a... It's all of the depth of fruit that I love about sherry with Mm -hmm, really without any of the savory notes, which works perfectly for this cocktail. Not that I don't love that savory side of, of sherry, but the way that Sipsmith, the London dry, like we've talked a lot about some of their infusions. The way the London dry shows up is like Juniper, Juniper is pushing the door open period. But then it's like a, like a lemon oil and orange zest following behind that. And I think that keeping it kind of on the the fruitier but still dry side is a really great way to kind of showcase all of that in a cocktail.
1: Yeah, there's a little bit of dry fruit that comes through almost like an apricot, yep. and then the sort of citrus qualities of that. And then Aperol has a little more restrained. There's still bitterness present, but more restrained bitterness than using Campari, which I typically prefer,
0: but I think it's... It's really nice. Well, and to any of you out there, like this is a an international brand, so you should be able to find SIP Smith wherever. Uh, a lot of the things that we've been drinking on the show lately, and this was not by intention, just sort of like what we've grabbed. A lot of the things that we've been drinking on here are also like they're they're dollar for dollar really affordable too. Absolutely, like that's one of the best things about SIP Smith is again it's just an incredibly affordable gin. It's delicious if you want to just drink it on the rocks. It's great with soda, but you can also make it into a great cocktail. And it's it's it has enough of itself to show up against really beautiful other ingredients. But also, again, if you just want to drink it solo, you're good to go.
1: Thank you to our sponsors at Beam Centauri. We love you. Bottle of Sip Smith.
0: (laughs) Sip Smith. Oh, is that the ad? Apparently. (laughs) Wait, hold on, hold on. Sip Smith.
1: Okay, there I can picture is. the uh, I can picture the bird on there doing that. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. That's, <laughs> that's 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 what I was looking at. <laughs> I'm like, what? What's that? with that? But it's either that hawk. Like, right. I think that I think that works.
1: Okay, so you got your shitty voice out of the way. Yeah, there we go. I have to make a really terrible pun at some Do point. Do it, and the episode will end at that oh, point. Yeah.
0: <laughs> or when we look at each other and realize that we named it. <laughs> yeah. yeah uh-huh. <laughs> well, uh, cheers. Hey, cheers. cheers, cheers, all the way across.
1: Sip Smith.
0: Sip Smith.
2: So good. My favorite thing is to like with a, a gin that I really want to experience is like making a Negroni and then making a, a Martini with that gin. Yep. Yeah. And um, 100%. Obviously they're very different cocktails, but
0: Are you all right? Straight up build your Martini straight up. Okay. Like what what <laughs> what do you want? Because I think this is a this is a like Charles and I have wildly different answers on this. Totally. And so I'm also yeah. fascinated by it. Yes. Your I'm going to
2: like Butcher the ratios because my resident mixologist.
0: <laughs> you could just say what you like in it. You yeah, don't even have okay, to say totally. Oh, so right.
2: I, I love like um it's like a contemporary build. Yeah. Contemporary build, Gin Martini. Mm-hmm. Um huge Nolette fan. Ooh, yep. So um I you know, with in a martini. I just feel like it's just like luxury. Um but um yeah, driver vermouth, like a nice amount of driver vermouth. Um just like really well-balanced and nicely diluted, but I still want to have, like, that... I really want to, like, taste the gin. Mm-hmm. I think it, when it comes to a stirred cocktail, I really like th- to um, let the liquor sing. Mm-hmm. And a lemon twist. Uh,
0: yeah. See? She's on my side. And I am kind of there like
2: a, a little bit of, like...
0: <laughs> there is no side. I'm a snob like about
2: like the glass, too.
1: Yeah. <laughs> like Coop if you're or get a martini cup. glass.
2: It needs to be martini glass, but like yeah. not too big, you know.
0: Okay. <laughs> not the cartoon one, you know, like the nineteen ninety-two. Yeah, the, the steakhouse. One. Yeah, the steak like, still sexy, you know.
2: Eleven
0: ounces and the stem is thirteen inches high.
2: I had one of those at Gianni's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it was like straight gin. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's so funny because that's literally ice. that's the martini glass I was picturing when I said, <laughs> <laughs> "Yeah, and exactly." Shout out to the homies at Gianni's. I love that restaurant. I love having a place yeah. that's like almost a touchstone to yeah. like a classic era. You know, it's I, I love that. My
2: favorite right now. I, I kind of like, i have not like just going to kind of a retro or I don't know a, a place that kind of calls to another time. Mm-hmm. For sure. And just like feel like acknowledging the good about those mm-hmm. places because they do have a lot of good. That's why people keep going mm-hmm. back to them. It's
0: Chili's in Chicago. <laughs> I love going there because it is it's 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 an, a relic of a bygone era in the best way possible like yeah. i mean that as a compliment yeah. i get to time travel for a second when i walk into that place yeah. and we don't have enough of those right. like that's what i want totally. i want more of that yep well shall we jump into it let's do it uh oh i think this is me that starts it off yep all right so brooke yes all of us have been to france and have all spent some wonderful times there. Mm. Name one moment or meal, you could go either way, that you'd use to try and enchant somebody who is thinking about traveling to France for the first time. Oh, wow. Because I feel like, okay, the reason I wanted to ask this question, and I phrased it the way that it did, is there's always the like, <clears throat> I heard everybody's like super rude. and pear- mm-hmm. get, get all that out of there. Mm-hmm. Then you have... Idiots like me, they go way over the top. They're like, oh my God, let me tell you. And what I've learned is when I'm talking to friends that are maybe a little bit more travel timid, should we say? Mm -hmm. Rather than being like, I'm going to vomit out seven days of things to do. If I tell one story about one thing that I love, Mm -hmm. that sets the hook way more than like, let me list out 28 things that you could do right now. Yes. Does that make sense to you? Definitely. Okay. So yeah, I
2: love that. And no, if you so want
0: to think about it too, like it's a it's a deeper question to jump off on, but
2: totally. No, I love this question. I think it's hitting it right on the mark. Um, oh man, so full disclosure, I have France travel guides, or like they're they're not that fancy. They're just like PDFs of my <laughs> um, recommendations, just because I do get a lot of people asking me, um, and yeah. I do travel to France every year, and. Um, so I feel honored whenever someone asks me cause I'm like, Oh, you like, like at least like my love of France, like resonates with, or like radiates, I guess with other people to other people.
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh. I, I just, I apologize. <laughs> I just started giggling because I was imagining if you spelled out like Amatopoea, if you spelled out PDF, in French, what, <laughs> how you would actually have to spell that out. And I got really excited. That might be, that might be the name of my, I also, I have a um, Evernote that I keep like for everywhere I travel, just in case anybody ever asks, there you yeah. go. The, I'm going to, I'm going to try and figure out how to phonetically spell out the sounds PDF in French, and that'll be the new name of it. Love it.
2: <laughs> <No>. Yeah. PDF. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Lots of apostrophes. Uh a few hyphen things that we don't even say. Love it. So anyway, so looking at your PDFs, mm. is there is there one slide where you're like, if I have to pitch my love of this country, my love of this city, whatever you want to look at it as, yeah, yeah. This, this would be my...
2: Totally. I feel like I could share a lot of different experiences. I'm going to think about it for a minute. Okay. Um, yeah.
0: Charles, do you want to take it while she's thinking?
1: Yeah. And I'm going to make the topic my own because we went to a lot of incredible places a lot of three-star Michelin restaurants when we were in Paris in July what I would recommend to somebody that is a first-time visitor particularly you land in Paris so you're you're hanging on Paris it's one of few places on this planet I think overall but that I've been for sure where the low rung of the the ladder is so high that you're going to have a high level of success finding like a plate of meat and cheese Mm -hmm. on a boulevard somewhere. Mm -hmm. And that was our first meal when we arrived. It was just walking around and kind of, you know, using sort of my visual communications radar for a place that looks classy, cool. The chalkboard is well-written. The menu looks exciting. They, all have wine. That's You can't go wrong there. And we just ended up pulling up to a place on a corner, sitting down at a table, and just ordering a few things off the menu. And it was really fucking great. Mm -hmm. So that's counter to my fine dino nature to say that you don't have to go to all of the super highfalutin places I went to. You can. You should. At least go to one. Mm -hmm. But... What I'd say if you're a new traveler is don't worry that you're going to stop at the wrong place, that you're going to get a bad meal. It's not small town USA. It's it's one of very, very few places. It's, there, it's right up there with like New York City where if it looks good, it's almost certainly going to be good. And so that would be my recommendation to someone traveling there for the first time.
2: Yeah, I love that. I think like honestly there's what I tell people a lot is that to, like, make... Like, you're saying, like, make sure that you're... It's just someone that loves food. Like, this is a very food-forward country. Mm-hmm. And so, enjoying, you know, a formal French dinner is really not... That's just, like, one piece of it, you know? Like, it's a very much about going to the ba- small bakery around the corner in the morning. You know, having oysters and, and Muscadet, um, or... Um, and, like, just... And bread and butter, honestly, Mm -hmm. it's the best. Um, (laughs) Just like at certain times of the day, you know, just like finding those different like rituals or things that the French do that are just like really incredible. And then being able to just sit in those moments. I think like those are the best. That's what like makes French culture wonderful is just like there's a lot of people that know how to enjoy the good things of life. And I think as Americans, we have to like be reminded to do that. And it doesn't come like, naturally to our culture and so um, yeah like there's definitely like that element of like make because sh- I think we approach oftentimes traveling like okay I have to like what's the best and what's you know and it's like no actually this is in the fabric mm-hmm. of the culture and you know um honestly sometimes it's just like taking a bottle of wine and sitting on the edge of the Seine as watch the sunset go down it's so beautiful I was like literally telling my husband that the other day like ah oh, you need to do that like, yeah. really soon, you know, just, I mean, obviously you can do that anywhere, but when, like, this specific example, there's, you know, dozens, if not hundreds of people also doing the same thing, like French people sitting down the Seine, and it's just, like, you know, depending on the weather, but, um, <laughs> yeah, it's just, like, those are magical moments, and, like, watching the, the sun kind of dance on the, on the river, and, um you know, and then the other side of it, like going to an Alain Ducasse restaurant in Paris. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's like I mean, the little dance that the the waiter does when he crumbs your table, and it's delightful. And I mean, <laughs> if that's your thing, like yeah. I think one thing is like when I um, recommend different types of places in France. You know, it's like definitely evolved because I've like, like recognized that like everything that I enjoy is not necessarily like every everyone is going to enjoy, mm-hmm. and I've like I try to edit my list like continually. Um, but you know, one of, like one of the things is is like a lot of Americans go to like American run restaurants in Paris, and so that used to bother me because it's like, well, why are you going to you know, but now it does, I think. I actually have several of them on my list and I actually enjoy them a lot. And I think it's a really good touch point point for people to enjoy a city that isn't always super friendly to, you know, um, foreigners. And so I like recommend some of those and then some of the more stuffy places that I'm like, yeah, the service is going to be different than you're you're used to. But that's part of the fun of it. If you like see that, have that perspective, you know. Um, Yeah, I usually try to like, talk to people about specific dishes that i really enjoy but then also just like that that overall experience um and then letting them have that experience for themselves Mm. because i think like that's the thing is everyone brings when you travel right you like you're all bringing your own you know viewpoint to the experience and i think that i would say that paris specifically is a city for everyone that anyone can find something absolutely enjoy
0: Going back to what you said about having a few dishes mm-hmm. that you recommend, is there one that you would want to share? Again, just I'm, I'm thinking of timid travelers who maybe are wanting to get out there and trying to figure out in the pantheon of classic French dishes, like depending on which, how you Google it, you'll get 27,000 different answers. Is there something that really speaks to you, even if it's just right now? like we always talk about on the show that you could answer any question differently five minutes from now. Mm. Is there one specific thing that you're like, I mean, if you're there.
2: So, I mean, I'm a huge fan of like fish course and the egg course in French food. So like, Mm -hmm. obviously like a kind of a formal French dinner is gonna be like about seven courses. That's not true of like, you know, when you go to a restaurant in France, it's like usually you're gonna get like three to four in like a prefix menu. Um, But man, uh, I mean, I would say more recently, I think there's like a skate wing that Alain Ducasse makes a sauce scornablaze. So it's just absolutely beautifully poached in butter and served with tiny little segments of lemon um, capers and perfect croutons, like little tiny cubes of brioche that are crisp. And they serve it like, you know... Just, I mean, I've I've had it for lunch before, um, and it's just like the most delicate, full of flavor, but also really nuanced. Sure. And like I said, it's like served with a little bit of a dance. I feel like it's I don't know how else to describe it. Like the way that the French servers are just like so have that finesse. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and it's like I th- I think that the reason I love the fish course in France is because I feel it's I feel like it's very rare to find fish prepared really delicately without just kind of like throwing a lot of strong flavors on it um and because like in french cuisine they very much it's very like a cuisine based on seasonal um ingredients and also just like sourcing everything very fresh um it though that kind of course you can't find anything better i think (laughs) um so that'd be one one example um you know yeah the fish course is always just incredible and then if you get like a fish and egg course combined whether it's like um a Canal de Pochet. Mm. Absolutely love that. Yep. Um, especially if it's not like... Because in Lyon, which is the ci- city that I studied in France, which is two hours south of Paris by the bullet train, um, they do like these old bistro classics. It's called a Bouchon. but um, And they do the Canal there. And it's like, that one is a little heavier, but you can also get like a very delicately poached Canal. And that's, I think, kind of what I'm saying with the skateboarding. Yeah. It's just... Incredible, heavenly, I don't know. And it's just like, I think it makes you want to just continue to, like the food itself is so good with like the butter, like we were talking about earlier, that it makes you want to just be present. Correct. Right.
0: The The food scene in Lyon is something <laughs> that even though I had heard about, I didn't understand until I went. Right. And it's it's just completely separate because it doesn't have to deal with the burden of the millions of tourists. Yes. Like for everything else. Yeah. Like that's it. The food scene there just gets to exist on its own.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's like a, I always tell people make sure you get reservations ahead of time. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Cause it's a city that runs on reservations. Oh, it's yeah. like very old French dining. Yeah.
1: You actually never realize how much, improperly tempt fish you eat (laughs) fish in france so So that's why i love that answer because if you order fish in france or any fucking protein any protein but it's fascinating with the fish because the fish comes out perfectly Mm -hmm. and i love skate but overdone skate fucking sucks right perfectly cooked skate is fucking fantastic that's Mm -hmm. everything about that dish sounded like classic and great and all that you would want and then you added the crouton thing i was like oh all right that's cool i've not had skate with crouton. We all need some crunchy bits. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I <ain't> yeah. afraid. <laughs>
2: well, and it's like funny too, because I think you can have a, yeah, the same dish cooked poorly. And, and there definitely are examples of people having like bad food in Paris or whatever. And I mean, that happens. happens everywhere. Yeah. yeah. But it is true, Charles, like you were saying. I mean, the, you know, it's, I think mo- you're not just looking for those like Michelin guide restaurants. You know, you're also looking yeah. for like just the little corner place that. For sure. Which is, yeah, we need more of that kind of dining where it's just like you just put the apps away and (laughs) stumble across something, you know. And I think we oftentimes put too much pressure on ourselves to, you know, get everything out of our vacation. And you just like lose the, like the joy of just enjoying those, you know, impromptu spots.
1: It's a, I think that sort of my recommendation is very much like a when in Rome proposition that fits those values as well, where you're just like, don't worry, just sit down, Mm -hmm. take your time, get nowhere to be. Especially like for a lot of us, the first day when you're on vacation or the first evening, you don't always make a lot of plans because you don't know how you're going to feel and you want to get settled in. Sometimes that ends up being the best night because you are just relaxed. You're like, okay, the bags are down. We're in the room. We have our keys we're walking around the streets. They're, the world is our oyster. We can do whatever we want right now. And that's precisely what we did when we sat down on the boulevard and then took in what I feel is more like naturally who I am. You know, people say like, I was born in the wrong time, which is, you know, I think it's silly when people say that. But for me, what I I feel like sometimes I was born in the wrong place because I would, I always prefer to take my time dining, drinking, having conversation And in other countries, that's natural. Yeah. In the United States where we reside, that is not natural. I'm going to Japan in a few weeks with a friend, and he's like, I'm trying to convince him to come to like one fussy dinner with me. Mm -hmm. I'm like, will you come with me to Narasawa or something? And he says, okay, I'm not bringing any clothes where I got to dress up. I'm like, you're fine. And he goes, and I don't want to eat anywhere that takes three and a half hours. And I'm like, why? Mm -hmm. Why? What is going to happen in those three and a half hours that you would rather be doing Then just sitting and having a conversation, sipping on sake, slowly savoring food instead of like filling your gullet and just like being entertained by the hospitality, Mm -hmm. taking in the surroundings. Like when I travel, I have those three and a half hours. That time isn't going to be taken up by anything else. What would we be doing? Looking for a bar and then looking for another bar and then. Walking into a shop and then looking for another
0: bar. I told so that I same. I told that same human being that the best <laughs> possible travel would be he needs to live in your world for a little bit, and you yeah. need to live in his world for a little bit, mm. and that's it. Do both. Yeah. Do fucking both.
1: I but I already do both things. So I know. I'm not going to struggle know. with it. It's really. It's, I know. I know that it'll be harder to get him to correct. to feel what I feel. But
0: that's why I said that.
1: But but he's gonna. Like yep. we're gonna at least do one, and I'm Have just gonna to. be like, settle down, hands on the table, put the phone away. Like, <laughs> this is gonna be good. Just like give yourself to the experience. Yep. Yeah, you're and not sometimes wrong.
2: it means being uncomfortable, right? Like, because we don't know all of our other dining, you know, faux pas or. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. but that is like the time where you get to really just. I think you're what you're talking about, Charles, is like receiving an experience, yeah, rather than like forcing.
0: Yep. Or just like, my thing is like, I don't have to choose everything. Yes. Like, it's really nice to just give the wheel up and be like, all right, like, I trust you. You're my homie. I want to, I can't even tell you how many episodes I brought up the like, uh, show me, uh, show me your magic world through this little screen. Like, I just want to see how you see the world. Mm -hmm. That's part of it too. Like when you're going out with a friend, if you let them take the wheel, Hey, show me what you love and then like view it through their eyes. Mm-hmm. To me that's it's a shortcut to empathy mm-hmm. or a way of strengthening it or a way of deepening friendship roots. Totally. Like all I want to do is experience the things that you love right. and it, and like be a part of it, you know? Yeah. When we
1: started this show I was probably worse at relinquishing control because I'm a control freak by nature, total type A. I also don't trust everybody's opinion. I have to like learn, you know, I have to be trained like okay, I can I can trust that you're going to take me somewhere that I might enjoy, but I've gotten I've gotten a lot better at that. Even so, like Tyson sent me a video. This is Tyson Schnitker, by the way, one of the owners
0: of Skullvin. former guest of the podcast. I'm
1: going with he and his wife, both owners of Sculvin and uh, and Mary's mother. So he sent me a video of this uh, tempura place on YouTube, and I was instantly sold. I was like, "Are you kidding? It's a bunch of people. Like everyone who works there is seventy or older, except." one guy who's the maitre d' and they're obsessive about every detail they change their oil out every day they recycle the oil because they care about the environment i'm just like that's it yeah yes okay i trust you (laughs) i just needed that little bit of an inkling so he doesn't just drag me into a random place and say (laughs) i don't know i've been here before
2: i think you're in luck though because i feel like Japan is similar to France in the yeah. sense that they're like very much a food culture. So yeah. like even the little noodle shop is going to be <laughs>
3: pretty good. The bar, yeah, the bars yeah. higher.
1: Again, really. it's
2: Five. like, I think a culture that values um, quality and food and like that quality of living, not just like quantity.
1: So I was telling you a few days ago that he, also, he showed me a few places that he wants to go with me. One of them is a French oh. little bistro. And I told him... I love you, but I'm not doing that. I've never <laughs> been to Japan and have wanted to go my whole life. I'm exactly. only going to be there eight days. I'm eating Japanese food. And <laughs> that, so like that, that's his own lesson. But then he also said like, I don't know. Some people say that the French food in Japan is better than <laughs> in France. And I remember telling you that and one of your eyes started to kind of twitch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry, Tyson. Love you. <laughs> but damn it. Yeah. Like, I think it's no.
2: probably like easier to go to France you know what I mean? Like, why are you gonna go
1: to yeah. Japan yeah. to get French food?
0: There's so much. Yeah. There's so much kaiseki. Or you and could just stay in the U.S. And and yeah, yeah. Literally, <laughs> right. if that's what you want, right. we we have pretty good of all.
1: Exactly,
0: it's fine. I'm sure
1: they have good French food, but I'm you know I'm there for Japanese food, and no. in, and and also he doesn't know that that is patently absurd. And you know, he's always kind of joking when he says things like that. But when you eat French food in France, you kind of know mm-hmm. why the food came from there
0: fair uh all right so to bring it back to my question um i don't even care like whatever we talk a lot on the show i'm gonna give three answers two without any randomness one if you like wine and you like cheese wherever you go in france just look up whatever the fucking wine and the fucking cheese is and eat it wherever you are period that's it no no notes 2 we all need to take lessons on the fact that the cafe chairs when you're getting a coffee all point towards the street mm-hmm. not towards each other mm-hmm. just take a second and give yourself some life look at the world watch it pass you by and be present put your fucking phone down mm-hmm. if you literally if you need to go find a cigarette whatever just sit and watch the world I love the fact that I can sit at a cafe and it's the only place on earth I've ever been where cafe after cafe, I can literally have an espresso, a coffee, a cocktail, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I just, I'm facing the street and just watching life go by. Yeah. But so those are like the first two things I always tell everybody, but poor per my actual like question, like what's the thing? Pick a street, go down a street, Pick an alley, go down an alley. If you're in Lyon, if you're in Paris, if you're in Metz, if you're in Nice, pick a street, go down, and let your nose lead you, period. One of my favorite meals, I think I've referred to it once before on the show. One of my favorite meals, we were cutting through an alley on our way to a restaurant that I had flagged for myself. And the most incredible smell was coming out of this building. And there was a guy just outside in an apron. He's like, Monsieur, uh, would you like food? Very clearly, I, I, I don't hide well as not an American, as a six foot five giant. They just kind of pick me out. I dress the part. It is what it is. And it turns out he owned the restaurant. He was the waiter. He was also the chef. He was just working by himself. And he made us a pizza, and it was the first time I had ever seen anybody pull a pizza out of the oven and crack two eggs over the top and then serve it to us. I still dream about that pizza. And the person that was with me on that trip, I texted earlier today just to make sure, like, I haven't blown this out of proportion. And she wrote back, seriously, still the best pizza I've ever had. Amazing. Period. That is a case-by-case situation that you could find in every arrondissement mm-hmm. in paris period mm-hmm. you could find that in metz you could find in any of the cities you could mm-hmm. find that mm-hmm. just let your nose be the guide if something mm-hmm. smells incredible go in and get it grab a snack totally. you don't have to sit down and do like a seven course meal you don't have to do a 12 course meal if you're on the move and you're doing it if they have it there and it smells that fucking good then just scrap your plans let all of your senses be your guide and turn your brain the fuck off. Mm-hmm. Because everything that's ever happened to me in France that I didn't plan on happening has been the stuff that I tell everybody about. Because I care about food and wine and coffee and cheese and bread. If that's not on your radar, probably just don't listen to me, period. <laughs> you know, but like but literally, or like just that's don't go to or yeah, or go anywhere else. Yeah, sure. exactly. You know, go, hey, you know what you'll do? Fucking, you'll see some shit from the top of the Eiffel Tower. Yeah, You'll take a picture at uh, L'Arc de Triomphe. Not mad about that. Done both. Right. But, oh my God, the amount of things that my nose has led me to in Paris outweighs the things that I've planned on doing probably two to one, if not three to one. Yeah. And that to me is the key to it wherever you are just walk around you know yeah. do a little research maybe figure out if you're in like a small town somewhere in central mm-hmm. france figure out what what they're good at making figure out what their cheese style is figure out what their bread style is figure out what their wine style is and then just go to a cafe that smells good yeah. and if not like just look in look around keep walking if it doesn't smell good honestly i'm shocked but good on you. I think that's to me that that's it. Mm. Is let the surprises get you. Totally. And then you'll then that's where the, the, the spell comes in. That's where all of a sudden you're looking around and you're hearing the genie sprinkles and you're like, Oh, I get it. I get it. This is Paris. Like it's hard to go wrong. Hard to go wrong.
2: And those experiences aren't gonna happen unless you're open to them, right?
0: Correct. And, like, sure.
2: and it too, it's like the French um as a culture, like, live a lot more, you know, face-to-face, um, you know, and so that's how they, they like to connect mm-hmm. with people, and so, you know, the place, the restaurants are smaller, the bakeries are small, like, spaces are smaller, mm-hmm. um, and so you can really just tuck in and connect, and I mean, I have a ton of stories of, like, I have actually traveled in France a, a bunch by myself, and so, by nature of traveling alone, I have had a lot of those kinds of like magical experiences of meeting other people and having really beautiful hospitality um, gifts. Basically, you know, happen to me. Um, but yeah, it's it's just like I think letting, like I love that letting your nose, you know, follow your nose, kind of like, <laughs> but also just like be in on that tiny little street corner, like mm-hmm. be aware and and let it unfold.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah.
1: But also, if you want to go to Plenitude or Le Sanc or Epicure or Arpage, yeah. you should do that, too. Do it. Also Definitely. In addition.
2: And those ones take planning.
1: <laughs> oh, <that's>, yeah, <laughs> for sure. I mean, if you plan a trip to Paris that's three weeks from now, you're out of luck. You're going to have yeah. to do the other thing. But
2: or do it for lunch. Like, that's my thing. Yeah. I love, I love yeah. doing, like, a Michelin-starred restaurant for, for lunch.
1: The particular ones I just mentioned, the lunches get booked up as well, but you could get lucky. You can get a cancellation at the Sank or something. So getting
0: lucky at lunch. Getting lucky (laughs) I
2: don't know how much time we have, but I have a really good lunch story.
0: Do it. Nope, (laughs) we're out of time. All we have is time. Nope, you got to get out of here. Andrew,
1: should I
2: tell my lunch (laughs) story? Just like
1: like a good French meal. We don't like to rush here.
2: Okay. It's like kind of crazy. It's like the magical chimes need to happen.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. yeah.
0: One day
1: Jesus in course. France. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: It was like the first time I had traveled to France alone. I was just like so wide-eyed, bushy-tailed, you know, bright-eyed. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um Yeah, I was uh dining at an ducasse restaurant, au Lyonnais. Um so it's a Le- lyonnais style uh restaurant in Paris. And just lovely. I had a lunch. I was just like going to have lunch by myself. And there was a table of um, three older gentlemen sitting next to me. And I think I got through the first course. And they, I was, yeah, they were, they kind of were like, Are you eating alone? And I was like, Yeah, I'm just, you know, trying to slice out as a recommendation from a friend. And I'm here, you know, for a week alone before I meet up with friends. Um, and they're like, this is not okay. You know, they're just like, you need to, <laughs> we're not going to let you eat alone. That's a shame. Like, come join us, have lunch with us. Um, and I was like, I mean, sure, <laughs> you know, why not? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it turns out there were like three legionnaires. Um, and, you know, proceeded, we proceeded to have like a three and a half hour lunch. And um, we're very in you know, intent on educating me as, like, this young American... I think I was 26 at the time. Mm -hmm. um, Young American woman, they're like, okay, we're having only burgundy wine, and this is the shape of the bottle. And, you know, it was just (laughs) lovely and hilarious. They are very, like, intent on making sure that, you know, I was leaving that lunch being an educated French um, (laughs) diner. Anyways, and then, you know, they're telling me war stories and, like, one gentlemen like grew up in Hong Kong and you know so they're just giving me their life stories it was lovely and by the time I knew it like the restaurant had emptied out it was just the three of them and me and the staff um you know and I don't even know what time this was at this point like probably almost four o'clock in the afternoon and they start singing like songs and just belting out like their songs from their service their time in service and all of the staff is just like Standing, um you know, beaming and clapping, we were like all clapping for them. It was just <laughs> like such a lovely moment. I'm like, what is happening right now? <laughs> and you know, it's time to get going. And they're, you know, just like, oh, this is our favorite place. And it was very clear they're like special guests. um But the staff all of a sudden comes up from the cellar and presents a bottle, a nice like a bottle of burgundy for each of us, including me. And I was like, wait, I don't think nice. you. <laughs> no, I'm just. A random and they're like no no yeah. this is for you and you know and and we all and we had calvados and It was yeah it was just lovely and and then um and then we leave and they just were like don't tell your husband that you had lunch you know they're like loving to joke that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they were like uh basically it was not like this sense of like oh we need to reconnect or whatever it was just thank you for a wonderful afternoon and you know adieu <laughs> um and i was just like I floated out of the restaurant yeah, and I was like, that was so incredible. Like what just happened? You know, it was like just the food, the wine, the company, the songs, the, you know, like this is so random. And then turns out it's a very valuable bottle of wine too, which is in our cellar. It's like, I think it's, it's a 2014 Javry Shavetan. Did I tell you the story already? No, that's (laughs) that's (laughs) amazing. Um, Say that
1: again. I was talking over you. Which bottle was it?
2: So it's a Gervais Chambertin, uh, yeah. it's a Premier Cru uh, 2014 <laughs> and I'm totally forgetting the producer right now, so I'm going to have Andrew uh, look it up, he knows, but I basically sent him a, a photo to my husband and he was like, uh, it was like really a hot summer, I think it was just in June in 2017 probably and it was a very hot summer, um, it gets hot in Paris and I was, he was like, do not open that bottle and like... Don't leave it in the, like, hot apartment. Like, take care of that bottle. So, we have, yeah, we're trying to figure out when we're going to open that. Oh, that is bottle. lovely. But it was just like, wow. I, and I, you know, at the time, it was, I love, you know, I, de- I definitely didn't know that much about wine compared to, not that I know that much about wine now, but I appreciate it yeah. a lot. <laughs> so, we want to, like, yeah, celebrate those, men like, that experience and those gentlemen and...
0: It only mm-hmm. happens when you're open to the experience.
2: So it's a uh, Domaine Fourier.
0: Oh, come on.
2: Yeah. Just lovely. <laughs> so,
0: also, that should around now, that should start being really beautiful. I know. Like for the next, like maybe like three years, I think that should be gorgeous.
2: Yeah. This was like, I was given an authority that we should leave it until 2024. Um, and then it could probably last for a good ten years. After that, yeah, so.
0: yeah,
2: um, yeah. That the producer awesome. makes wines that last like fifty years or so. So
0: that's incredible. So.
2: Yeah, it was just like again, I didn't know anything about the wine. I just knew I'm like, this is something special that I got to be a part of. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's something that is really, I think, something I've grown to appreciate is like having those experiences of being like a foreigner in another country and then receiving so much hospitality. And that's what honestly has launched a lot of like the work that or inspired. A lot of the work that I do is I have received a lot of good, like a beautiful hospitality. And I want to create that for others.
0: The first time that I met you, you said almost the exact same thing. And that was (laughs) actually why I was like, okay, you're rad. I want to get to know you more. Hmm. Uh, I, I'm so fortunate and it's one of the things that Charles and I bonded on was just like all of our experiences and almost every one of them came from the kindness of somebody else. Right. Like when you look back on the wildlife you've lived, yeah, it's great that like I'm the constant in it because I'm the one who's remembering the experiences, but every one of those was provided by somebody else. Mm-hmm. Every one of those doors was opened because somebody was like, hey, come on in and then that creates that and that is such an incredibly like fortunate thing. Again, when you just open yourself up to it, it happens pretty organically. Totally. Like I'm barely passable as like an okay human being, but it's really great when people just are like, "Hey, you seem nice. Like, let's let's do this thing and let me show you this." Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden 4 hours later, you're like having the time of your life and it was completely unintended. But again, it's just being okay with like going with that flow like moving totally. with that current. It's,
1: one of, it's also one of the treasures of solo travel mm-hmm. is that yes. the likelihood of those experiences when you're open to them are exponentially higher when strangers can identify you're a social person, but you're not with another party. Mm-hmm. That's like, that's one of my favorite things of, you know, I take an annual trip to New York, Brought Quam and I went on the last one. Ugh, <laughs> the worst. But I, I like to just go to New York uh, around... On or around my birthday and just spend a week milling around town, eating great meals, drinking, smoking cigars, going to museums, things like that. And when people see that you're social, you're willing to like interact with them and you're alone, then you can have little clusters of new friends, you know, single serving friends, people that you're either just going to hang out with for a couple hours sitting at a restaurant or a bar Or someone you end up walking around town with a little bit, like, hey, I have this other place I want to show you, and not
0: get stabbed, because I'm still here. Huzzah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, cheers it up, and go to topic two. Hey, bonus cheers.
1: Let's go. Cheers. Bonus. Okay, so, Brooke, what is a particular dish in your repertoire that you've been making for a very long time, and has... Evolved or improved over the years as you've learned more about yourself and your tools.
2: Hmm. Ugh, such good questions. I love this. Yeah. Oh man, there's so many things. Let me think about that. It's funny because I do think that, like, as much as so, I make custom menus for all my events, and like, I love being like very free flowing and very like flexible with my work. And, like, it keeps a lot of space. At the same time, I do make dishes that I've made for years. So. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> right, obviously. But it's, like, it is, I think, rare to have that much space to just, like, I, I get to, like, nerd out about something and just, like, make a dish and mm-hmm. people seem to like it, you know. It's, like, that's um, fun. Uh, but then there are those dishes that it's, like, I think as a caterer, that's, oh. like, a this other kind of genre of chef mm-hmm. where it's, like, people want to know. How do you entertain with certain kinds of food? And it's like I have the privilege of, I think, having a lot of creative problem solving skills around like making dishes that work in different spaces. Um, it's something that I, I think, have grown to like uh, appreciate about the work. Um, but I think it's kind of leading me to say that there's like certain dishes that I'm like I've never really enjoyed so okay this is probably I've probably like a better example but it's just like popped into my head um I'm not a huge shrimp person mm. I just have never really enjoyed it um I think I actually grew up in a family that doesn't really eat fish too mm. um
1: you picked that up at some point yeah absolutely okay.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but we did like ha- I grew up with shrimp like it was like the thing that people liked I mean very midwestern palate kind of um family
0: just, you could fry it it's yeah, good yeah exactly
2: nope. um and so usually yeah, it's never... the
1: bag of frozen pre-cooked slimy shrimp that's what it is or just the lobster
0: <laughs> lobster yeah yeah i mean what fried shrimp doesn't taste better with cheddar bay biscuits <laughs> <laughs> true what are we eating just it's literally just the batter it, i don't yeah. even know if there's protein in there oh, either, right absolutely on either end yeah
2: <laughs> No, I mean, and it's funny because it's like something that as a caterer, I would have to make a lot um, just because it's like something, again, Midwestern palates um, people request. And um, yeah, but I just I started making like a shrimp escabeche and it was just something that mm. ended up being really popular. It's basically like um, poached shrimp that's marinated in kind of a um, shallot and you know, sherry vinegar, or sometimes, you know, I'd switch up the vinegar kind of brine, um, usually also adding, like, some, some kind of hot chili, and, um, and dress in ginger, and, like, just kind of dressing it up, like, a lot of aromatics, and it's just, like, nicely um, crisp, and good texture, and, you know, it's, like, I don't know, it's just kind of, like, in in between, like, a, I don't know, my mescobeche is, like, a pickle, but not that intense, right? Mm-hmm. So, it like, it really is great with proteins. Um, and usually, like, do some, like, charred vegetables with that. And honestly, like, that was one of the most popular party foods that I would do for years. Mm. Um, and it, again, it's, like, not even my favorite thing. But then, like, I take that kind of escabeche and, like, make other types of dishes, sometimes vegetarian, and just do, like, spring turnips that are charred. and Yeah. Um, or, like, really beautiful little, like, spring carrots. Honestly, like, I've been thinking about the spring a lot lately, so... Everything is spring right now. Um, but, yeah, and then, you know, it's funny because, like, at some point I just stopped doing that. And I just, I, I like, I do the escabeche kind of thing or, like, a marinade, marinated vegetable dish. Um, and then I do, like, a very simple poached shrimp. And I think it's, like, from spending a lot of time in France, I just, like, f- try to find the best shrimp I can and leisurely, it's head on. Um, yeah. And just do beautifully, like, poached shrimp and enjoy it um i think the way it should be and i've actually grown mm-hmm. an appreciation for shrimp that i never had before um just because of like that again experience of having it fresh you know
1: you eat the brains
2: yeah definitely. you have <laughs> to
0: if it's poached in butter or oil like that's if it's really yeah, good oil okay. or really good butter like that it makes it infinitely better okay that's like actually in,
2: like some white wine and then add like mm. with butter and then reduce mm. that you know yeah. and then some herbs
1: so, I think there's there are two additional stages. Everyone eats the flesh of the shrimp. The first one that's it's only the second stage. The second stage is do you suck the brains out. Yeah. The third stage is for like a well grilled or sauteed shrimp. Do you eat the tails? I eat the tails.
0: It depends on how crazy they are. For me, for the tails, <laughs> crazy. What do you- like there, there are just times where like. It's still chewy and I'm not gonna do that.
1: No, you can all I mean you can usually you can usually tell when you look at it. Sometimes I'm like, I thought it was ready, but it's not. Right, right. But like a really beautifully grilled shrimp. And and like the whole shell. If it's got the head on and the tail Mm -hmm. on and it's you can see it's charred. Mm -hmm. It almost looks kinda dry, but it's got the my artifact on the 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 actual carapace, I'll eat the whole fucking thing. I
0: I remember in my (laughs) twenties, the most indignant shit I ever yelled at a barbecue. Was that some people that refused? They were throwing the heads away, but they were still just eating like the full poop line. Oh. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I, <laughs> I'm not mad at you for that. I'm just saying, you if you're gonna tell me that eating the head is gross, but you're not gonna <laughs> devein the shrimp, like I can't. Sorry, no. man. Oh. I you can't you can't convince me <laughs> that you're in the right on this. I yeah. just I can't get behind you on that
2: to get more comfortable with heads on things yes yeah
0: because <laughs> there's so much good in there yeah yeah i went to a lunar new year party
1: at uh our friend dewey's house a couple of weeks ago and he had head on shrimp uh for the hot pot that he was doing and i was like oh dope you got head on shrimp where'd you get them from and he goes "Ah." Uh, I got them at Costco and I was like, oh, <laughs> I bought the same ones yesterday. Like $22.99. Hey, <laughs> <hey, laughs> <was like>, yeah. <laughs> As we
0: fucking do. Universal experience. <laughs> Get them deals, son. Yeah. Oh, funny. Yeah. I
2: don't
0: even remember. What, what, what's our question? What are we talking about? A
1: dish that's like evolved. Something oh, there been, we go. Something you've been iterating on for a long period of time, how it's evolved, how it's improved.
0: Yeah. Uh, honestly, my answer is chili. Because mm. I started at 20 in college. Your very day. I really wanted, no, I wanted to make just a good pot of chili. Okay. Because I ate chili other places and I got excited about it. And it is fucking wild. When you sent me this question yesterday, <clears throat> I am a weirdo and I have um, a compendium of all the recipes that I've ever written down going back to when I had an AOL.com uh, email address. Amazing. And I have my literally original chili recipe and it's, it's dumb and it's gross. It's I want to know really, your email handle though for AOL. BQ smooth 13. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you. The letter B, <laughs> the letter Q capital S M O O T H the number one, the number three at AOL.com. Email
1: libations <laughs> for everyone at BK smooth 13 <laughs> at yeah.
0: It it was it is the most basic average ass chad ass chili. Okay. <laughs> but it was it was a start it's chad ass chili. Uh, it was a start. And like when you uh, again when you sent me this question I kind of went back and I was like all right what have I been cooking for a long time? Because I can look at my recipes yeah. in my book as it's digital from oldest to newest. And I'm going through it and some of them are just faithful. It's like family recipes. It's stuff that like I have to make a certain way, right? But chili is the weird one because chili has, is it's the only one, it's turned into my fucking like Bill Walsh coach, coaching tree. Like it goes fucking crazy, but everything is based off of that. Mm-hmm. My guajillo enchilada sauce is based off the next version of my chili where I was like, this is great, but what if I made all these flavors without vegetables and protein in it? And then I could use that as a way for making enchiladas. Okay, cool. There's that. Then it branches into Verde. Then it branches into like what became the chicken white chili that I'm honestly probably the most proud of. Like, I have a chicken white chili that will make the back of your neck sweat. Like, I will literally have sweat coming down the sides of your eyes while you're eating what is essentially the most basic ass, like Midwestern chili. It, it all came from there. Mm. And I love thinking about that because then I started actually pulling them all up and reading them one by one. And I had never done that before. So thank you for asking this question because I got to look through and I can actually, because I have them all ranked by year that I put it in, I can see every time that I decided to elevate or sidestep and do it a little bit differently Mm -hmm. in a completely different genre. Some version control. Correct. But it all starts from that original chili recipe where I was trying to combine two or three chilies that I liked because I wanted to have one that I could bring to like the chili cook off that's happening when you know, everybody wants to hang out and be adults. And maybe a couple of your friends have houses. A couple of your other friends have like nicer apartments. And you want to have everybody over because we can't afford to all go out. Like we're all sort of living beyond our means and just trying to like get by. But if we all bring over like little crockpots full of chili, we can figure it out.
1: Mm-hmm. You can all fill up for cheap. Yep. Dude, because mm-hmm. 100%. You're and doing then, that in your 20s. And then yeah.
0: everybody goes home with leftovers. So you got at least two more meals out mm-hmm. of it. That That original, like my first quote unquote award-winning chili, because I took second. Uh, That first recipe though, that started the ball rolling. And you can see with each iteration, you can see what I dropped, what I added, and then where it went from here, and then it splits into three. And then all of a sudden, okay, well now we got beef, and then we got pork, and then we got chicken. And then it goes and like, okay, well, we got to add, add a vegetarian because my friend Jess just became a vegetarian. Okay, cool. So now we got that. And then it keep and then, well, we should branch out and we should do one that's just fucking sauce. And then that's we have a to a have one that's chili dog beans and one that doesn't have beans. <laughs> I've got know, one chili cut oh, card. I've been making for 25 years. I, I want to know for something that I love so much, I want to know that I have something that works for everyone. Mm-hmm. Because again, it goes back to when I show up this is me saying I love you to all of you. Mm-hmm. It's not just I love you to you. It's not just I love you to you or I love you to you. It's I want this to be for everyone. And if I know that there's multiple palettes that have to be taken care of, okay, then maybe I'm going to bring a couple and we're going to set that down. But that's, it, it's fascinating to be able to look back at that. Yeah. And then yeah. you could also see both, both, because we have access to more ingredients than we've ever had. And I feel like we have to give props to that. Like it's very cool to be able to have access to right. 17 different dried chiles at the Mexican market down the street for me. But it's also, hey, let's just try and take care of all of our friends. Something that I definitely didn't think about when I was in my 20s. yeah. And now it's, it's more important to me. So if I can find a way to like use all of the ingredients that are at my fingertips to make something that maybe moves you a little bit or just gives you a good night, like whatever it is. That's what I want to do. And that's the whole point. And chili is the best metaphor for it because I can literally, it's the only thing I have in my arsenal that I can trace from one to currently 15 different recipes. And that's how it trees out. So that's me. What about you, Charles?
1: I think originally I thought I might say something like, My curry, because iterating on like the Mm -hmm. spice blend that I make and then, you know, how much cheese of each ingredient, making the actual pot of curry. Or like I've been making a I've been making this like baked halibut with a caper red sauce and fried polenta dish for ages. That was like my date ringer dish, like (laughs) cooking for someone in my twenties. When I was in my twenties, women were surprised that I like cooked, so I use that to my advantage. Like, hey, I'm pretty good at cooking. And that dish has changed over the years because I've learned a lot more about flavor in the last 20 years. But I think the answer, and it just occurred to me, we were at a dinner party this weekend and it was Lebanese themed. And we've talked on the podcast before about how I cook mostly anything but Lebanese food. But I've been on a journey of self-discovery Starting with probably five years ago, I started to use Lebanese flavors in just contemporary cooking of my own volition, like recipes that I've engineered. To now, the last, I'd say, year and a half, two years, I've been trying to do more traditional Lebanese cooking. And a couple months ago, I made lubia for the first time in honestly like 10 years. Lubia is a very simple dish which is why it's interesting that it intimidated me it's braised green beans tomatoes onions garlic some various spices it's served over rice it is incredibly simple you can add ground meat to it ground lamb or ground beef Uh,
0: but that's why it's scary you can't hide anything in it it's the same thing as like a lager in the world
1: well so okay so here's here's what here's what Generated the fear is that when I first cooked it I cooked it for my two brothers and my mom at my family's house at my my mom's house Mm -hmm. and I had this notion in my mind that I could do it better by not cooking the beans to the degree (laughs) that they're cooked so they still were toothsome because I'm like that's a properly cooked green bean and my whole family looked at me like I had just burnt the house down (laughs) they were like this is not Lubia (laughs) <laughs> and i just didn't try again for 10 years oh. i just nope. did not try That's again fair. and being on this journey of self-discovery of like my roots and preparing these foods that are all about the freshest of ingredients and just again like what quam just said you can't hide anything with mediterranean food it's just it is what it is it's stark it's Standing naked in a storm, you can't put a bunch of stuff on it to make it taste like something else. It tastes like those very simple ingredients. It really is like the essence of green beans and tomato. But I decided to prepare it again for Marnie and myself. And I just was like, I'm going to do it by the book. I'm going to stew them all the way down. I hope I do it right. Somehow I was nervous about this very simple thing. There's no reason I shouldn't be able to prepare that properly. But I was so pleased with what I made that the photo wasn't worth posting because it's fucking ugly. It doesn't <laughs> look good, but it just, there's, it, it tastes like nubia. That's like, that's what I know from when I was a child or for when I've been in Lebanon and either my mom or one of my aunts has prepared it for me. And that's opened up sort of an entire new window into, okay, like I've made baba ganoush before, but I've never made it exactly the way I made it last weekend. I'm getting like some confidence. I'm like, this is still baba ganoush, but I'm doing it a little differently. Like I took the roasted eggplant and, um, used a salad spinner to remove moisture so that it was more like the essence of the eggplant. Cause I just want that like roasty smoky eggplant flavor, uh. but it's just, yeah, it's opening up new avenues for me to be bolder about the foods that are, you know, at the roots of who I am biologically as a human being so it's that's that's it lubia i
0: I love that because like i honestly that's something that i'm like i'm jealous of and i think i've talked about this a couple times on the show is i don't i don't have any i have dishes that i love from my family but they're not dishes from my culture Mm -hmm. they're dishes of of poverty it it was delicious things that we made work given the money that we had Mm -hmm. and It's like, again, it's rad that this last like decade and a half has been dominated by like the new Scandinavian cuisine and all that. But to be honest, like, I don't, I I love it because it's good for the culture of the people that I identify with, but none of those are like flavors or dishes that, that I actually can be like, oh, that's part of me. Like outside of Swedish pancakes and Swedish meatballs, like. I don't really have a whole lot that I'm like from my childhood, this connects me to like my culture, you know? Mm -hmm. And unfortunately for both of those things, there are prepared versions of them that are amazing. (laughs) So the urge to go in and make it from scratch isn't quite there, but what I've been doing in the last six months is researching more into what's probably like genetically in me if I go back four generations that I just never got to try what got left in the old world that didn't make it here that I need to figure out. And that's a, that's a more fun like a uh, Hansel and Gretel breadcrumb trail for me to follow than anything. But Charles, I think it's fucking amazing that you have something that connects you to childhood that you're also working on making better
1: yeah it was a little bit of product of convenience too because people would say why is lebanese food the only food you don't cook i'm like my mom does that Mm -hmm. (laughs) because when we were kids we've told this story before but when we were kids my mom was terrible at cooking everything except lebanese food so i was like if i want fried rice or spaghetti i gotta make that shit (laughs)
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) well fuck it to you know to moms (laughs) to moms who do the best they could and to kids who are trying to figure it out (laughs) cheers
2: cheers
1: Okay, where are we at? Ooh, this, this is you again. I love this question uh, so much. Yeah. Okay. I love I, this. I love. This. I was like, "Is this too weird?" Whatever. Let's get into it. Sorry,
0: just so, yeah. knowing both of you, I was like, I, I I co-signed this, and I think this is one of my favorite questions that Charles has asked.
1: Well, yeah, it's it's also like, irrespective of the guest, it's just a little, it's a little spacey.
0: It's way okay. more me than it is Charles. I'll just say <laughs> this is this feels like no, a me not. question. It one hundred percent does.
1: Okay. So infra thin refers to like identification of the difference between two things. It's like a, a void or space of something that you see and what happened to make it that, even if you didn't observe it. So like it's like seeing shoes strung over a telephone line, or and wondering how they got there, or uh, a shuttered storefront, wondering what used to be there and why they closed. It's the aura of something that was. So can you recount a memorable instance when you saw something that made you sit and wonder how it got there or came to be the way that it was?
2: Oh, wow. This is such a good question for me because I feel like that's like my entire like being. Same. <laughs> yeah. Oh my
0: God. Thank you. Same. Like I, I have 20,000 answers to this question yeah. because, oh my God, like everywhere I go, that's yeah. that's what I wonder about, right?
2: Totally. Yeah. Um, as someone that I like, just like a, like an old soul kind of you know mm-hmm. feeling. Um, and as someone like was raised in modern houses, meaning like they were built like 10 to 20 years before my existence or less. Um, I just have always like gravitated to like old spaces or places that other people have walked before, you know and it's like I mean honestly, that's like one of the reasons I love Europe, um, just because it feels lived in and that you're just one of many that are passing through. And the same thing is true about, like, old houses, I feel like. Mm -hmm. It's, like, it kind of shifts the conversation of this is, I think it puts into perspective, like, more about my life um, and being able to just be, like, maybe stewards of something for a generation and not, yeah, it just, like, gives me a sense of centeredness, I think. Um, It takes the pressure off that it's, like, oh I don't have to, I'm not the only one that's ever lived, you know. Um, so not, that's not my answer, but I think yeah, this <laughs> is a great question. <laughs> oh man, I was just like a very sent. I'm just a sentimental person, so I was like, you know, always like fan like as a kid, romanticizing. I was like, someone's gonna find my diary, you uh-huh. know, and I'd make uh-huh. sure that every, you know, like every diary entry, the ending of the entry had something like dramatic, just in case something happened to me and someone found it, and you know, I could not go out on like a <laughs> lame diary entry. Yeah. <laughs> Um, man, see, so yeah, I'm like, I'm the you worst at like, it. yeah, yeah. No, I, what I need to think it? about it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> there's like, there's infinite directions for something like yeah. this.
0: I'm, I'm such a hot mess about this topic because it's, it's also really hard to try and like, without having a specific thing to ground it on. Mm-hmm. Like, what do I, what do I clamp that to? Uh, like a part of me thinks about the, um, There's a a singer and and guitarist named Jeff Buckley that I'm obsessed with from the nineties who passed away before he got famous. And there is a double album of his unfinished songs that was released. And I go back and forth on if I think it should have been released. Like I'm happy that his estate got money. So I guess there's that, but what it does is it introduces a whole bunch of questions to fans of like, what would this have been? What could this have been? And I get stuck on those questions because I'm obsessed with the art. But when you sent the original question to me, the first thing that I thought about was when we were in Denmark together, when we were in Copenhagen, Drew and I took a tour of the palace. And for whatever reason, there was just chaos going on that day and you buy a ticket. You could buy a ticket just to, like, the palace exhibit, or you can buy the full ticket that gets you into, like, everything. So you get to go downstairs in the kitchen, and you get to see the library and, like, all that shit. So we bought the full ticket, but there wasn't, like, a you should do it in this order. So it just listed the things that you could do. And so we would just sort of get to the end of one thing and then, like, look around and be like, oh, there's that. Like, let's go there. And so we did it backwards when we went down to the Royal kitchen, which was from the early 1900s. So it was very much like the Downton Abbey Mm -hmm. kitchen. And, you know, they had like the fun little, um, interactive media things where like, as you walked into an area, it was like the sound of everybody like hustling and bustling around and the banging of pans. But they also like posted recipes of like what they were making Mm -hmm. and they had the copper pots and all of like the, the tools they would have used to make things. And it was like trying to imagine doing like a dinner for 80 or a hundred in this kitchen in the clothes that were required at the time and just like, Oh my God, like Downton Abbey should have been so much more sweaty and angry <laughs> and like covered in soot. Yeah. But then we went we went back out and around and there is a it's the only castle or palace that I've seen in all of my travels on four continents that has a sub basement that you can walk into that sits on the original foundation. So you have this palace that was built in the 1700s, but you can go underneath and you can see the original foundation from the 1200s. Mm. So now we're looking at, you know, eight, 900 years that have passed. And as you're going around, it's, you know, it's of course very dark. It's all like two stories down mm. and you're going around, but it's, it's all the original foundation. And then they're showing sort of artist relief of what it probably would have looked like. And, it was really, really hard for me to disassociate with just how dark and smelly life must have been in that era. When, like at the time when we were there, you know, it was only night for four hours. The sun would go down at 1130 and it would rise at 330. And one of my favorite memories is us watching the sunrise on that bridge while we were drinking together. But that also means that the inverse is true. So it's dark for 18 hours a day. And I couldn't get out of the feeling of just how bleak shit must have been when you lived in something that was all dark stone. The only light came from torches when the sun went down. And everyone's excrement just went, right down the side so the whole thing is completely ringed in all of the humans that live there's excrement i like i had a really tough time getting out of like trying to imagine what that was like and then going back upstairs and just seeing like the grandeur Mm -hmm. like it was a weird that was the closest i guess that i've come to like believing in ghosts Because the confluence of two completely separate things, like how dark and dense and harsh and smelly life must have been to then have a thing stamped on top of it that is built for grandeur, for shining, for opulence, for celebrating. It's everything except the dark. Mm -hmm. Those two sitting on top of each other, I had a really tough time rectifying that and i actually when we came back out of that that was supposed to be the, like we had seen the last of it i went back into the regular palace just to look around and think like they have like who was who was the bridge to that because people had to have been alive that remembered when like oh it was just like a couple torches and now we have chandeliers that were flame and then turned electrical later mm-hmm. but now you have every room is built to do nothing but shed light on everything. Yeah. And I guess like, I don't know. Like that was a I don't know if that's exactly like the the metaphor that you were asking about. But that was the that was the weird thing. Like it was the it was the shoes with the laces tied thrown over the the phone pole saying you might not remember what that is, but we do. Mm-hmm. That was me going downstairs mm-hmm. yeah. and seeing that sub basement. So this
1: came up as an exercise in my meditation. And a couple of, like one of the examples that came up, which I found kind of amusing, was uh, seeing seven peach pits neatly lined up on a sidewalk and wondering like, did that person eat seven peaches in one sitting and then align every peach pit on the sidewalk? So it can be a little thing. It can also be like historical in nature. It can be flowers at an intersection what happened to that poor person, right? There's, there's an infinite well, number of
0: possibilities. The flip side of that was, that was why I, I've i talked about it on the show before. That was why I left the 20-sided die that my late brother yeah. made for me yeah. on top of the pile of stones. Mm-hmm. Because not everybody is going to notice that, but there's going to be one person that sees that and mm-hmm. thinks, that die might be magical. I'm going to take that with me. Mm-hmm. And then that adventure lives on.
1: And wondering why it's there. Is it yep. for thin? Right? Yeah. Like why, why is that? Why did this come to be? Yeah. It's and maybe it was that, just,
0: and, and yeah. my, my hope was that that person, whoever it may be would see that and think this was meant for me. Mm-hmm. And then they go forward with a little bit of my brother carrying it with him. And Hey, maybe you get a lucky roll and you think, fuck, man, this is my magic die. Like, or they roll a one and that's they're it. like, fuck. Yeah. yeah. But I, I just kept thinking, like, that That sub-basement always existed. Mm-hmm. And there had to be people that would go downstairs and, like, be like, this is what it was. And then go back upstairs and be like, all right, here we are. Like, I have to look at this a little bit differently. I have to look at my world a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Because we're literally sitting on top of what was. But it's still open enough to be acknowledged. The entire city's built like yeah. That.
1: Mexico City. Yeah. Oh. Singular example.
0: Fucking catacombs in Paris, baby. Mm.
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm going to also pick a historical kind of thing because it's just like mm. my nature. But yeah, um, yeah like growing up, but it's not just about like loving old things, but like discovering them. I think there was like that desire to connect with another time or another part, like mm-hmm. someone that might have been like me some another time or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't know. The '90s and early 2000s were full of, you know, um, <laughs> historical fiction. <laughs> so, but I think there was a book that I just like absolutely adored growing up, and it was called *The Velvet Room*, and it was like this 1960s book. I don't know if um, I'm if you've heard heard of it, but um, yeah, my- yeah it's like this little girl growing from the Depression, and things are difficult at home, and then she like ends up finding this abandoned Victorian mansion. So, you know, we're talking maybe 50 years before her time and just finds a way into the mansion and there's, like, this beautiful velvet library room where she just goes and escapes her life and reads. And I, like, thought that was the most luxurious kind of, like, thing to just stumble upon something beautiful and, like, untouched for a long time and then, like, breathe your own life into it. And that's kind of always... What I love about finding old spaces, um, and then like f- many years later, when I was um, working in, in like film production and stuff, I got to help out on like this short film. I was working art department, um, so like set, set design, set decoration, that kind of thing. And we were taking over this old farmhouse. Um, it was like an 1870 farmhouse, and um, the woman who had lived there, been born there, had recently passed away. Um, and all of her things were still in it. And we had basically permission from her son to shoot this short film in this space. Um, And we had the pleasure of, like, kind of discovering a lot of the stuff in it because Mm -hmm. we are the art department. So you go ahead and, like, prepare the set. And we wanted to keep most of the things as they were. But, you know, I mean, we're, like, rifling through letters, like, in German from, you know, 1890s, um, records from the 1960s. Like, I mean, it's just, like many, like, multiple generations of this family that had lived in this house. And I remember being like, this is my own, like, iteration of the Velvet Room. Like, I just felt so much satisfaction, but then also just an immense sense of kind of sadness because, um, you know, we were talking to the son, and he was like, oh, yeah, someone's going to buy this house. And I mean, it was, the foundation was cracked. Like, it was really not in good good shape. Um, and I, it was like this, I was so sad to think, like, all of this wealth of human family is probably yeah. no longer going to exist and then I got to like peer into that you know and it was like really interesting because the house you could tell where the original like um, area was it because in the center of the house there were seven doors that kind of like they had built mm. different areas it wasn't even a big house but and so I was just like going through like that f- that week that we were working there and and looking around and just like trying to architect kind of like these people's stories and you know how they lived and um yeah it was just like honestly to me it was just so fast like I was in heaven you know it was just, like so interesting but I also had that sense of sadness of oh yeah these people aren't here anymore and maybe some of you know some of these things will never be I got to see them which was really amazing but you know there is definitely a sadness of like when you discover something that of someone that's no longer there and I think there's beauty in that but it's also like a Yeah, it's just, it's hard to describe, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's super cool. Yeah, I, so, like, an easy example would be, you know, when you're in the, when you're going down, like, the lower levels of the Louvre, and then you see the different symbols on the brickwork because they're (laughs) indicative of which workforce worked on them. Yeah. And a bunch of them have the heart, and then, you know, they casually remind you that heart didn't used to mean love. It used to mean loyalty. Mm. That's like, oh, but were they loyal? Were they indentured? Did they want to do this work? Did they hate doing mm-hmm. this work? But a, a good example that just occurred to me, because there's like so many ways you can go, obviously. Marnie and I were in Atlanta uh, probably four months ago now. We went to this bar that I love called Takahata Club. Had some drinks, ate some food. We started to wander around the city a little bit after that because it's a really beautiful part of Atlanta. And we hailed an Uber on this particular corner and I turned to my right and I saw this bridge underpass that was just laden with graffiti. Just, it is completely covered every inch in graffiti. It was fucking beautiful. And I took a photo and kind of explored it a little bit. And I didn't notice it at the time, but when I was looking at the photo later, which I still have, there was a singular textual piece of graffiti that said, I knew it was you. And the fascinating thing about that is there was nothing about the font or the ligatures that made me feel a sense of love or hate, but that could mean I knew you were the one or I knew that you did this terrible thing. Fredo
0: kiss murder. And so
1: the curiosity of whether that meant this person found someone like a partner or a friend that they adore or perhaps had already or was planning to dispatch somebody who had wronged them. It's really fucking fascinating. And I thought about that for a long time because I was like, just let me look at it, especially as someone who works in visual communications. I was trying to study the the type itself to see if I could derive any sort of anger or love out of it, but it was really just graffiti type. So I was like, that could mean anything. And just that alone, that that's one of my, I think, Persistent ones is when I see graffiti and it actually says something other than just your handle. But when it actually says something, understanding what the person meant and also trying to derive emotion from the way that it is written, which is also common of even like digital typography. Usually you want some consistency in whether it's elegant or rigid or obtuse or archaic classic retro futuristic. There's so many directions you can go look at this bottle of Centauri whiskey Toki, you know, it's just like a nice firm character, but that's something that when I evaluate graffiti, that's something that like you have to use your arms to do it. Usually you get a little sense for what they're feeling when they wrote it, but that fucking line, it was just, (laughs) it was almost like they knew that it would be a mystery, at least until it got sprayed over.
0: Which, which, of course, it did inevitably.
1: Yeah, because that, t- that tunnel looks... The, the Just the color alone in that tunnel is spectacular. It's literally people just probably tagging over each other for who knows how long. I don't know when it started. I don't know when the bridge was built. People could have been tagging over one another under that bridge for 50 years, for all I know.
2: It's like kind of like we we were talking about, like the permanence of impermanence, you know? <laughs> like these things that we stumble upon that like strike us, and then they're not maybe... Maybe they're there for another couple hundred years or maybe they're only a couple yeah. days, you know? Yeah.
0: I I don't want to make this like super dark, but uh, I, I had a moment similar to that that uh, I actually got solved for me. <clears throat> there was uh, obviously World War II. There were a lot of atrocities that were committed. Uh, most of the concentration camps were in Germany, Austria, and Poland, but there were satellite concentration camps. And, uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to tour one that was in Norway because they could send political prisoners there and nobody knew like they were so far off the grid. Nobody had any idea where they were. So it was a lot of, uh, Russian, Polish and, and Slovak prisoners that were sent there. And we were taking a tour of this facility and it's literally, it's pretty remote. So there's like, uh, like groundskeeper slash curator that kind of takes care of everything. And so we were taking this tour and it was sort of just like a walk around and see stuff. And we're in the, um, one of the barracks or cells. I don't know what you would say, like where everybody was forced, you know, four or five beds all the way to the ceiling. And I was sitting in there and I'm looking and there was a series of, um, like, arrows or just carvings, like shooting off in different directions, and then um, different numbers or tallies. And it just sat with me. You know, it was like everything else was like people scratching their names and people, you know, like I was here or like this is the date that I arrived or like, you know, whatever. are Like the Europe bill, the Norwegian slash Russian slash Polish equivalent of like RIP like memorials everywhere. But all of it still stands, and and they wanted to keep it as is so that you could like walk through that. And we get through everything, and it turns out that the curator of the museum, for lack of a better term, slash mausoleum slash remembrance, uh, grew up on a farm that butted up against it. So he was alive during World War II as a kid, so he remembers the fence being up and he's telling us all this shit. And at the end on the way out, we're just kind of making small talk. And he was like, you know, if anybody has any more questions, like, what would you want? To ask. And I just said, you know, I saw these carvings um, and I, I was just wondering, like, you know, what that was. Like, is that like, you know, where, where I'm from or like, what, what is that? And he made sure that we were talking about the same thing. Um, And what it was, was it was the one place that they had figured out they could pull the bed frames off the wall and they would carve in, uh, they would take two people out to dig graves Mm. and they would kill somebody. And then they had to, they weren't going to carry the shovels back. So you had to have one of the prisoners bring everything back. And they had figured out that there was one stack of beds they could pull off the wall. And so that was where they would carve so that you knew how many paces in every direction they went. And he said, so ugh, I hate to even say this out loud, but there was only one person that was left living when the camp was liberated who could confirm that that's what it was, but you could walk backwards across the line of all the carvings and you could find the person who made the last one and then you could take it and you could go to the next one and you could find that. And they've recovered all but one body because these people in the midst of all of that horror, these people chose to leave a symbol as an echo that hopefully somebody else would hear. And it's beautiful to see what they've done to, they, dug everybody up and they've reburied them and they have graves and I'm not a huge proponent of that kind of stuff. Like I don't love great big gravestones. I don't want to be in a coffin. I want to be cremated and thrown into the ocean. But I think it's a beautiful thing when you were forced to be married, buried, yeah. buried okay. namelessly mm-hmm. and silently. I think it's a beautiful thing to have a something lasting mm-hmm. to show you where. And that also like, <laughs> Now when I see any carving anywhere, there's a little bit of me that's like, but but wasn't something that important? You know, is yeah. that the clue to that? Yeah, totally. And it's, it's hard not to feel that way mm. because I like, it was just like a, mm. that's, that's interesting to me. Like just random arrows. And it was just them coming back and it was all on the same wall. So they were trying to figure out how can I leave a little bit of a mark to know that somebody's out there. Mm. And I don't know, it's. It's hard, like when you see like a random shoe on the side of the road, you're like, "Fuck, man! Like, <laughs> how did that get in? That seems so much more important, right. you know." Exactly. And it could just be like an asshole kid throwing something out the window. It is what it is. Right. But the fact is, like, I don't know. I, I guess I hope everything has an echo. Mm.
2: I think it does, like more than we realize,
3: you
0: know. I agree. I'm or at least I hope I, do. Yeah. I, I. I agree in my hope
3: in that. <laughs> I I like that. Yeah.
0: Cheers. Cheers. Uh, ooh. That's you. It is me. I like this question. So, Brooke and Andrew, I'm gonna throw you in on this too. <laughs> I love the fact that like so much of what I know and love about you both is your devotion to hospitality. My question is, when you are going somewhere else, when you are going to somebody else's house, and I'm assuming they're going to tell you, like, you don't have to bring anything, but I also am going to assume that you're probably going to bring something. Past that, when you get there, what's the thing that you look forward to the most? Is there a course? Is there a thing? Like, when you're showing up somewhere else, imagine that you had to show up with nothing in your hands and you give the hugs when you get in and you sit down at a table. What is the thing that you enjoy the most about having a meal at somebody else you loves place? Sorry, we're throwing out all these softballs. Well, <laughs> all yeah, these so... <laughs> not super deep.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Just obvious answers. Um
0: I should have come up with like a, a Cheetos related question just to break the tension.
2: <laughs> no, these are really good questions. I'm assuming you mean just like overall the experience, not just the food. What, Whatever. Yeah.
0: It could be, yeah. it could literally be like, I can't wait for the cheese course. It could be like, I love when a wine is poured for me that I'm, I haven't had. That's Yeah. It could be festive hats. Could be, no, pets. Pets, pets. like Also, dog. that <laughs> I heard. You hats. Can't wear those to restaurants. I was no like, f- I mean, f- yeah. Throw on a fez. Yeah. Let's get weird. We'll get we'll some restaurants cars. that don't allow hats. Yeah. So I guess that. Oh my god! Place. Yeah, meeting your friend's dog or cat in saying hi to the fish. Having a meal with a cat. <laughs> Not really that. my thing. Whatever. I don't Like it.
2: Uh, yeah. I mean, so like in this kind of fantastical situation, it would probably be like having a fire at the end of the day. Ooh,
0: I love that so much!
3: <laughs> I love that so <laughs> much.
2: I think like. It speaks to that a continuation Uh of the experience and there's nothing like better than being like, all right, we're having such a good time. Let's go like move somewhere else and, you know, just enjoy more. And then, you know, I, I think that's just the best. We used to have a working fireplace at our old house and it was my favorite thing. I mean, that was, but you know, a lot of my friends have fireplaces too. So yeah. And it's usually like, then things aren't scheduled anymore. So Mm-hmm. I think we have like enjoyed all the neat necessary things, and then it's just like, all right, time is a you know is a forgotten thing, and we can just linger and enjoy. Maybe we're opening up something new. Maybe we're just finishing the bottle from from dinner. Um, yeah, I think that's like when we have the best conversation too.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that you makes kinda, me so happy. You kind of <laughs> you kind of snipe me. Yeah, you picked, <laughs> you picked like a specific example, and you use the word, but in in a word, it's lingering. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that time is abstract when you are dining with friends, especially if they're good friends to dine with, and the the notion of lingering is beyond the meal itself. You can certainly extend the meal to whatever notion of time you care to experience it in. But completing the meal and uh, for your, for instance, having a fire, whether that be indoors or outdoors, um, I can light my hookah for friends. We (laughs) like to enjoy cigars, Mm -hmm. having some dessert wine or just another glass of wine, having a really nice whiskey, and then just talking and listening to music and petting the pets. Mm -hmm. And some people like to play games. Some people like to just stand in the kitchen I love almost all these things. Uh, th- those are s- some of my favorite experiences. Are you have a great meal and then you just stand in the kitchen until four a.m. <laughs> you never sit down. You're just like standing in the kitchen, slightly leaning. Yeah, slightly right. leading. That's, yeah, that's leaning. Yeah, leaning yep. against the sink or yep. something. A hand on the island, grabbing drink after drink. Yep. I mean, even on Saturday, we were among the few people remaining. I didn't want to go, but I had got up at 3 a.m. and I said, you know what? I should probably get some rest because I have stuff to do tomorrow as well. And it was already midnight at that point. But there's a part of me that will probably never die where I just don't want to go to bed. Yep. Like, I don't. I never want to go to sleep when I'm having, especially when you're having a good time. If you're having a bad time, yeah, you're like, that's when you and your buddy are sitting on the couch. Fuck it. Buddy, will you fucking get out of here? I'd rather sleep than look at you for another second. But if you're among people and you've just had an incredible evening, you want that evening to last 100 hours instead of three. And that's the beautiful thing about dining in a friend's home.
2: The best is when, like, you've so overstayed your welcome that like there's like a midnight meal or like
0: (laughs) I'm sorry. Did you, did you just say dark lunch? Dark lunch. Dark lunch. (laughs) Oh shit. It should be like cheese toasts,
3: you know? Yeah. (laughs) I'm bad
0: about
1: that. Oh, that's actually, that is probably an indicator of a real great hang. You had dinner and you've been hanging for so long and you've lost all notion of time. And then you start eating other stuff. Like, wait, are we hungry again? We oh, had yeah. dinner tonight. Oh yeah. And when like no one goes tink tink well, Tink
0: tink. Huh? Yeah. There's Without no the thigh slap. slapping. Yeah. <laughs> nope.
2: It's just like scrounge the fridge in the pantry. You're like Yeah. <laughs> what are we? Now sardines. the leftovers are actually
0: cold. <laughs> yeah, some sardines and crackers, some herbs. Yeah. Have we explained the the whelp best be hitting the road to like our <laughs> listeners that don't live have. in the Midwest? <laughs> There's a, there's a thing that happens in the Midwest where you slap the inside of both of your thighs as you're sitting in a chair and you make some proclamation about how, well, I better be hitting the road or snow's rolling in or you find whatever dumb reason you need to leave. And that's like, that's how you end it. And then that, well, that also sort of ends it for everyone. Yeah. Because then it just starts the cavalcade of everyone leaving. Which culture is it where they say, <laughs> I think I've had enough of your company? <laughs> Isn't that German? I think it's, <laughs> yeah, German. it's German. Yeah, it's German. Like, like a I have had enough of your company. Yeah, <laughs> like, I am full of your company. I am full <laughs> of your company. Yep. <laughs> okay. That's well, fair. That's amazing. That's um, their whelp, knee slap. <laughs> uh, Brooke, I loved your fire answer, because <laughs> I, have, I have a very, very amateur and roughly hewn theory that part of the reason that we love music and fires is because of the hiss and pop of vinyl mimics the hiss and pop of a fire. Mm. So as somebody who had to stop himself from DJing all of his own dinners, uh, you, the only thing you can listen to in my dining room is a record player. You have to put a record on. And when you start a record, especially if it's older, it sounds the exact same as lighting a fire. And I think that there's something somewhere in our subconscious that just says okay to both of those things. Because that is also my thing is when, I, I love when somebody just puts on a record. Because again, it's not like, what's the next song? It's, we're just going to have right. this, and this is going to be a part of what we're doing.
2: Kind of Like contextualizing the space and like creating an environment.
0: yeah. But my favorite thing for those parties is, I love that there's always one person that I don't know super well. Mm -hmm. And it was part of the reason I asked this question because you got to be that person for me uh, a while ago. And I love the idea of when you show up, like when you show up to a dinner party and it's at a friend's house that you really care about, you're already just, casually agreeing that all the food's gonna be good the drinks are gonna be good the humans are gonna be good like whatever i i don't have to ask like who's gonna be there like mm-hmm. if there's a, if there's a certain comfortability if there's a certain closeness <laughs> with a friend they invite me over for a dinner party like word i'm in mm-hmm. like I, I don't care on <laughs> unseen yes you have my permission slip let's go and I think it's the excitement of more, more than the menu for me. It's the excitement of who else my friends would say, like, this is a human that I want at this table. Because in the same way that I marvel at, like, the ingredients that our friends have chosen, and I would say that, like, the same care that I put into picking ingredients for my table, if I'm the one cooking it, I put that same love into, like, who I want at said table yeah. and my favorite thing, the biggest gift on earth that the people that I love have given me is more incredible people. Mm-hmm. You know, there are so many humans, like I have a pretty wild and crazy world, but there are so many fucking humans in my own community that I never ever would have crossed mm-hmm. if it wasn't for people in my life saying, hey, I'm doing a thing, I want you there, I want you there. Whoop you pull them both together and then we sit across the table from each other and all of a sudden like, holy shit, I have this incredible other human in my world. Yes. And I think we're lucky. Those of us that have worked in the service industry are lucky enough to know that because we've had a constant like cycling of these guests coming through Mm -hmm. and a lot of them are poof. And then (laughs) a bunch of them are like, all right, but some of them are amazing. Mm -hmm. And, That's great because that's just the general public. You get a cross section of the world and you got to try and fucking pan for gold. You're sifting like crazy while you're doing your song and dance. But when you go to a friend's house, somebody you care about, when you go to a family member's house, somebody that you care about, and they say they're bringing over some people, right? You're going to meet somebody that a person that you care the world for says, I want them there the same way that I want you there. Yes. That's a beautiful thing, right? Yeah. And while we're serving this gorgeous food, while we're, like, we're so lucky in in, in our bubble, I'm just going to lump the two of you, uh, Brooke and Andrew, into this, but, like, in our in our generous bubble, like, we're so lucky to have all of these incredible talents with food. But when you look up from the feast, and I can say this about every single dinner party, I've been invited to in the last 15, maybe 20 years. When you look up around the table, you're like, yo, they put the same amount of care into the humans that are sitting at this table as they did to the food here. Mm -hmm. And while it's so easy to talk about how delicious a dish is and how amazing this pairing is, right? It's also like, imagine this meal paired with a conversation with one of you Mm -hmm. or the first time, second time that Charles and I ate together, like, yeah, this is great, but also, like, I get to talk about this food with you. That's an incredible gift. And we can recreate that meal all we want, but that dish, really, it's that one time. Mm -hmm. That one time in that one moment, that's Mm -hmm. it. Yes. (laughs) But the conversation that you have across from that, right, the discussion that you have with humans that are there, that goes on forever. And then what you do is you start planning the next meal that you're going to do. and. My hope, I guess, is for our listeners out there, like, think about that when you're inviting people over, too. Like, who do you want to meet? Whose stars do you want to cross? Like, who do you want to set on another journey that might involve other people? Like, that's a, I think as much about that as I think about planning whatever menu I want, because I want the conversation to be as delicious as whatever food we serve, you know?
2: Yeah, I love that. Because it's like that dynamic of like, yeah, this is like a one. That's the thing that's special about like a dinner party. It's like, it's or an event, you mm-hmm. know, or whatever. Like, so it's like a one time, one place. These kind of like magical moments that we get to share together. Yeah. But then, like, you're kind of looking at it from a also perspective of like, what will this create? You know. Hell yes. Forward. So.
0: And you never know. Yeah. Like where it could go.
2: That's why I love like doing long table dinners. I mean, that's I've, I've been doing like pop up dinners for as like an experiment slash. I don't know, I just, like, I, I, you know, coming back from France and a lot of amazing dinners, um, usually it starts with, like, looking at an environment and being like, oh, this is a space mm-hmm. that could, you know, like, I can create an amazing experience and people, you know, we can make this happen. Um, but community develops from that. And I think it's, like, recognizing just people gathering with kind of same intention of receiving a good meal you know bringing something into the table so much comes from that it's like that's again why we i think love food and dining is just like it's so multi-dimensional mm-hmm. at the very base you're just getting fed like <laughs> physical human needs and then at the like on the other side it feels like it transcends you know everything everything yeah, yeah.
1: We always say we're breaking bread on this show. We're actually doing it today. We usually do it just with liquor,
0: but... <laughs> I have 100% moved the microphone away so that I could house the fuck out of another yeah. piece of that bread. But yeah,
1: break, breaking bread, Erroneous. It, it's erroneous to suggest that breaking bread refers to the consumption of the bread. Though bread is often present, it's about the human experience. Mm-hmm. Yep. Cheers to that. Mm-hmm. Cheers. Uh,
0: and I get to go again. I hate to throw this out there and I don't know if you have a direct answer Brooke, but I love throwing this question out cause it humanizes all of us. We have, we have some incredible culinary minds in this room. What's, what's your most recent like fuck up? Like what is your most recent <laughs> kitchen fail where you were like, ah, I just fuck.
2: Yeah. Oh man. I make them a lot. <laughs>
0: But I think, I think that's the thing that we should talk about more. Like, I, I, I reference that a lot. I get, like, I'm not on the level, especially on presentation, of either you, Brooke, or you, Charles. But I do, I do post a lot about, like, what I cook. Mm-hmm. And every now and then, I'll have people be like, dude, what the fuck, man? You just, like, rifle all this shit off. Like, oh, no, there are plenty of days that I don't take a picture because it did not turn out well, mm-hmm. or I did not love it. Or even if I'm just like it was fine, but it should have been better. Have been better. Like right. I, if I'm not, I love this. Then I'm not. I want to talk about it, you know. And I think that's unfair. Mm-hmm. I think we should talk about, yo, I fucked this shit up. Yeah. Sure. yeah, but it's not always that. No, like, Brooke, do you want me
1: to go? I can yeah, go. sure. Yeah. So I, I feel like I'm so like methodical when I prepare food that. It's probably some combination of just like how I am as a person and also not wanting to disrespect the ingredients. But I don't remember the last time I like fucked something up. It's certainly happened. I probably blocked it out. But I will say is that I can be hypercritical about yeah. things that I prepare. Well, that's fine. And one of those things you have got to consume. And so I'm going to I'm going to bring that up. When I made the Super Bowl sandwich, it was too much bread-to-ingredients ratio. I should have cut out a section of the middle of the bread, and I knew it. But partly the pageantry of how gigantic that sandwich was, I was like, I'll just add more of the sauce, and maybe that will compensate. But what ended up happening was it was still a very delicious sandwich, but all you could really taste was bread, mortadella, and cheese. Like that was That was everything. The sauce didn't really come through the marinade yeah, peppers. they really through we put a
0: fuckload of momofuku hot honey on that
1: the momofuku yeah <laughs> like, also the okay God. i also wilted i wilted the greens i yeah. used the arugula microgreens i should not have dressed them early that's a literal fuck up that yeah. you can you can pinpoint that as an actual fuck up So when i did it i was like why did i just dress those greens <laughs> they're not even coming over for an hour and i was doing a bunch of weird shit like trying to like pat paper towels and pour the Liquid out, and I was like, what am I doing? They're just fucked. And I have no more because they're microgreens. I just used Mm. the container of the microgreens. So that element, yeah, they ended up being basically cooked. They got cooked by balsamic. It was was a
0: microgreen ceviche.
1: No, I didn't use balsamic. I was like, he's another vinegar. I don't remember which one. It Anyways. was a
0: fig. No, it was a fig balsamic is what you me. It was me. fig balsamic. Yeah. yeah.
1: Okay. So it was another balsamic. Cause I used 18 year balsamic on the peppers that I marinated that I roasted. So I did a lot of labor to make the sandwich mm-hmm. and it was quite the sight to behold. And the sauce itself is fucking awesome. I put it on potatoes. Totally. It was essentially like a pesto with ricotta and um, pistachios and, and a few other things. But it's just the layers. The li- <laughs> credit to the other ingredients that there was too much of. I put a fuckload of mortadella on that motherfucker. A pound and a half. It was, and it was soup. It was, it was thin sliced, but not like. You want to kick the guy out of the deli thin slice, right. you know? Like, I want to see through it. No, just I want to be able to, right. I told him, just thin enough where I can crimp it because I want to make it look like that. And I we all know that crimping emails. ain't easy. Did it have pistachios?
2: Because you can't do it too thin if it has pistachios. No, no,
1: no, no. Okay. no it was it was <laughs> like uh, the fat, the yep. just the fat modules. I gotcha. Uh, <laughs> and, and then, uh, obviously, I, I put too much cheese on it because I had two bulbous balls of why am i why am i not thinking
0: you had a burrata burrata you had you had, you had a you had, a, had to a, do a bull's scrotum of burrata <laughs> giant
1: burratas and then i because it was this huge circular loaf and i was like i'm gonna bust them both open and split them side by side and that'll That's each <laughs> each fit a quadrant and then sprinkled it with uh Mamafuku hot uh, chili crunch hot uh, chili honey, crunch, honey, honey. So it's all the ingredients were brilliant, but I'm just saying that the yeah. the flavors didn't combine to my the, my preference or even my ability. It's not something you can iterate on because it's a stupid cartoon. It
0: was sandwich. the funniest part. The funniest part about that sandwich is that burrata, which is the mildest of all of the flavors that we had in that sandwich, yeah, yeah, was the dominant flavor. Like literally that was the thing I kept giggling about was that it was a burrata sandwich <laughs> a lot of burrata in that with sandwich. other texture. But the funniest part about that is talking to other like foodies, if you guys are finally okay with that term, I'm still fine with it. Uh was like of all the videos and pictures that I took of that night, that's the one that everybody freaks out about because it was it was you opening both burratas over the top of it. Yeah. It was like, you guys did a second? And we're like, <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, yeah. You're not you're not Super freaking ball, out oh about also you're not freaking out about a pound and a half of mortadella <laughs> yeah. or an entire jar of roasted bread peppers, but it was the, it was it was the second. It was fun and it was, it was satisfying, delicious. but yeah.
1: it, it could have been better. That's all. Fair enough. And I wilted those fucking
0: microgreens. Fair enough. All right. Uh is there anything that jumps out at you oh, and yeah. again this doesn't have to be like yeah. a i lit my kitchen on fire just something where you were like <laughs> all right well
2: no i mean i'm like it's it's interesting because like a lot of my work it's like i am constantly experimenting and making new dishes i mean we're you know we all are doing this but you know today i made a yuzu patefui, like fruit jellies and it didn't set up right so i'm like mm. oh i'm gonna have to make that tomorrow <laughs> But um, specifically, I remember <laughs> one event. W- this was probably a year ago or so. Um, I was packing up for an event at my commercial kitchen space, and you know, it was like a French dinner, probably like five or six courses. And I had been working on a, a Bordelaise sauce for several days. You know, the stock, and then reducing that stock, and then making like um, reducing, you know, wine with shallots and Reducing all that together. I mean, it's just like a lot of reduction going on. And um, right before we're gonna leave, I accidentally uh, knocked the Cambro of of oh. sauce into the prep sink.
1: Oh no! <laughs> and this is
2: like we're already twenty minutes late. You know. For oh.
1: <laughs>
2: and those are the things like my dog always, ate
1: my Bordelais?
2: Yeah, I mean, oh. I, what I ended up doing because it's like <laughs> that was an oh shit <laughs> moment of like oh. I, you know, and and again it's like. <sighs> what I ended up doing was um, I had confit a bunch of duck legs and I had all of, this is for another event. And I had like all of the delicious, like um, congealed stock (laughs) on the bottom of the fat. And I just scraped all that fat out, took that sauce, melted it down, reduced some wine, added some shallots. And I had like, Something that was a, oh, it was wow. a delicious sauce, she just but I mean,
1: <laughs> got it out of
0: duck sauce.
2: Like, but I just was lucky turbo that duck I had, sauce. yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you know, that was like, but that. also,
0: I would totally fuck with that turbo duck sauce.
2: I mean, it was great for what it was, <laughs> but I had that was one of the worst moments where I was just like, there's not usually I can figure out a problem, you know, it's like, yeah. and, and I'm really a high critic. Like if I make something and like never, it's always about refining it. Right. And like doing something better and learning through the process. But yeah, that was one of those that I was like, that was really, that, that was just really bad. Yeah, <laughs> And I had to like, <laughs> yeah, just, um, wing it.
1: Can you uh, can you explain uh, is that a duck reaction? choke? That's fucking <laughs> great we're in it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I was
0: looking for that Mallard reaction. <laughs>
1: the Mallard reaction. Can you tell us your Mallard reaction to one that happened? <laughs> like how did <laughs> <laughs> when when you spilled the sauce? What was your reaction to that? Was it did you? Oh, I mean, were I was, you angry, sad? Oh,
2: <laughs> I was so mad at myself. You know, and like, yeah, I think there was some like some. <laughs> I don't know, Andrew, if you were there. Or, um, I think I had some, some <laughs> of my staff members around and I think I was just like, Oh, this is not good. Oh God. You know, just like very much verbalizing, yeah. um, the situation <laughs> out loud. But then
1: I can only imagine.
2: Yeah. I'm very much a verbal processor. So it was yeah. like, but yeah, you know I what, mean, so is
1: Marnie. She, and she's like, we'll be the only two people in the room. And she says a lot of stuff that I'm not supposed to hear apparently. Cause I'd be <laughs> like, what's that? She'd be like, I'm verbally processing. I'm like, I'm nah. the only other
0: person in the room. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Preface it with not for you, Charles. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. I mean, I, my mind was racing of like, just imagining having no sauce, you know? Yeah. Like, you've got, there's got to be a solution. And I think like, that's something that I really appreciate about the what I've, the work that I've been able to do is just like being really quick on your feet because, you know, whether it's cooking halibut in front of the client and they're like, talking your ear off and you're like, you know, you, you have to like, you know, know <laughs> yeah. be present and, or something's going wrong. Oftentimes, um, you know, I'm working with equipment that isn't the best or I don't know the equipment. And so mm-hmm. like, yeah, this like a couple of weeks ago I was doing an event and they, the oven was just like dropping a hundred degrees of temperature and everything was like oven based. And so, oh shit. yeah, we were just like, all right. Yeah. There's like all these moments of having to just figure it out and, sucks in the moment but at the same time afterwards you're like wow <laughs> it's a lot of satisfaction yeah. to
1: problem solving right exactly know, especially that type of resilience like to be oh. able to see your borales is just fucking spill down the oh. sink and oh. figure out a solution you kind of answer that like if you were on a google interview where they're like name a time you were really <laughs> bad and you're like yeah but it was also a time where i was really fucking good i think the problem <laughs> is folks that i work too hard i think that's, yeah, exactly. that's really my biggest yeah. criticism yeah where do you see yourself in five years? <laughs> celebrating the five-year anniversary of this interview. Don't say doing your wife. Don't say doing your wife. <laughs> <laughs> say celebrating five-year anniversary of this interview. Yeah, there we are. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: uh, <laughs> so I wanted to. I wanted. To, so I have a. I have a weird problem-solving technique. Of if I'm alone in the house, I walk outside. When I fuck something up, I walk outside and I just like scream at the sun in the neighbor's one, window for one hot second. Well, here's, here's what, here's what's funny. Here's what's funny. I'm picturing that. It's very funny is I've never once. This is also how myopic and selfish I am. I've never once thought about like, what does everyone else on the block think? Because in my head, I want to go outside and yell something. And I don't want my dog or my cat to think that they've done anything wrong. That is the reason yeah. Then I walk outside Just And the go, neighbors. Fuck! Like, cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, for said wrestling party, when Charles and I, in our 40s, decided to get up at three in the morning and go to a private lounge so we could make gourmet sandwiches and watch professional wrestling. We're babies. This will age well. Right. Uh, with exactly, and no matter what, like we're fine. This is totally normal (laughs) to get less sleep in your forties. Yep. Uh, with an incredible like personal tailor and a rapper that we love. Like everything about it, if you just write it down on paper, is kind of awesome. And I really wanted these meatballs to fucking bang. So one of my things is I sort of build, I build it a little bit like a bolognese. So I love to add in dairy and cook down the liquid so all of that fat, that whey just like gets all up in there and it just makes the texture even better, right? So I bought all this shit, put it on the fridge, go do my workday, come home, have dinner with my wife. She's going to bed. I'm like, all right, well, I, I, gotta, I gotta make this stuff because it has to have time to set So I'm going to make these meatballs. I'm going to pan fry them so they get crunchy on the outside, throw them in the sauce. I'll go to bed and get a little bit of sleep and then get up. So I get to the point where I'm in the mix of I'm going to add a little bit of milk. So, of course, I add whole milk that I'm going to add because I want the fats, right? And I just reach into the fridge. I don't even think about it. And I add milk but my wife drinks skim, what? skim milk. Okay, yeah. And so I pour the skim milk in there. And like, you can literally see how thin it is. Like, as I'm pouring it, I can see the color of the meat underneath it. And I'm like, this isn't right. And then I look at the bottom, I'm like.
3: <laughs>
0: put the cap back on. I grab the meat with my hand and I just pour off whatever I can, just down the drain. I set it down. <laughs> I rinse my hands off. I walk outside. And again, as an avowed atheist for the last 25 years, I yell, God fucking damn it! (laughs) And then I walk back inside. (laughs) And what I didn't realize was that my neighbor was taking his garbage out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I look out my kitchen window, and he's just frozen, holding his garbage can and looking at me in my kitchen window, which now I also realize... I have a light on in my kitchen and I have no backyard light on. So it's just a it's just a beautiful like two foot by three foot rectangle of here's the guy that just yelled it. There's a stained oh,
1: glass of this guy yelling.
0: By the way, also my neighbor is a born-again Christian and him and I have lots of debates about religion. <laughs> so what what he what he experienced was I'm taking the garbage out. And then my neighbor, who is an avowed atheist who I've had lots of battles about religion over, just stepped outside of his house, looked at me, and yelled, God fucking damn it! And then shut the door and then went back to looking at me through the window of the kitchen. <laughs> so now I'm like, oh, God. Ah. Again, so again, God, fucking, like, damn God fucking damn it. Okay. Now i got to go back outside. So I go back outside. I'm like, Tim, I'm really Sorry. That wasn't about you. That was me. I fucked something up in my kitchen.
1: If you told him it was about skim milk. I literally did. Was he like, oh, yeah, skim milk sucks.
0: I I go, (laughs) you've commented on, he's a friend of mine on Facebook. So I was like, you've commented on so many of my cooking posts. What I screamed was anger about skim milk. And I'm, I'm sorry. Like. What I said doesn't mean as much to me as it does to you, and I understand that. I'm very sorry. Like, I'm literally now apologizing for how mad skim milk got me, which is a weird thing to be doing across a fence at 8 o'clock at night, but here we are. And and he just put his hand on my shoulder, and he goes, Ben, I know you. I know what you cook. I get it. Just, okay. And he just walked inside. I didn't even get, like, it's okay or not okay. He just said, okay. All right, so I go back inside and then I've fixed the meatballs and they turned out decently. But it was those moments where, like, that didn't maybe require that much of an acceleration. And then, also, as a reminder, as a human being with a loud voice, maybe stepping outside the back door because you don't want your dog to be afraid to just aim it at all of your neighbors, also not the best neighborly thing to do. Maybe let's just find a pillow or I don't know a better way to process your process your emotions
1: next time. Yell salinity. Now
0: salinity now, which honestly I still just want the rest of my neighbors to understand, but we'll get there. No, they'll just have to wonder. They won't, they won't be scared because they'll just wonder what the fuck you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Like it's a play on Seinfeld. Also, you should probably add a little bit of saline to your cocktails to make them taste better. it's fine. Mm-hmm. True.
1: All right, we did it. Numero six. Cheers. 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 Ooh, can
0: I steal a little toki?
1: You sure can. Super duper.
0: Oh, why, thank, thank you, Andrew. you,
1: Andrew. Okay. Handsome and helpful. <laughs> the final topic. <laughs> oh, and this is the this is the partner topic. That's fun. Topical. Okay, Brooke. What is the difference between how you and your partner travel when you go on a trip together and how have you learned to navigate around it? Hmm. This one's easy for me. <laughs> oh, yeah? Okay.
2: <coughs> I don't have to think about this one. Yeah? Um, yeah. So Andrew and I are very comp- complimentary. Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah, which is, like, really cool. Like, we've been together for a long time. Just celebrated our seventh wedding anniversary, been together for 13 years. Yeah, um, yeah, so it's super cool. And we just love doing life together generally. Um, but when we travel, we definitely are trying to get different things out of the experience. <laughs> and sometimes it aligns really well, and other times
0: <clears throat> All right, Charles, will you benefit me on this one? Uh, Andrew, would you agree with that? absolutely like (laughs) we we love life together we love everything together and when we vacation we want very different things and when it aligns it's amazing and when it's not we're just like well one of us has to win
3: yeah
0: (laughs) all right so I have to I have to ask you since you've been here this entire episode what what do you look for that she doesn't also, thank you for having me on the pod. I've been eating bread
1: and drinking whiskey this whole time, so I'm sounds I'm, terrible. <laughs> I'm really happy about it. Uh, she wants to go out and explore and make experiences happen. I want to lay out
0: somewhere in the sun and just chill. Like I want to have the experiences and do those things too. I don't want to sit on a beach for a whole week, but like, there's definitely a point within like the
1: first day or two where it's like no plans, no nothing. I need to just okay. turn brain off and just You're the mar- you're the Marnie. You're All the right. Marnie. So what
0: I heard for that is Brooke is right and yeah. that's who I should vacation with. Oh yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Activity central. But like good acti- like we're here to experience, explore, be on the street, you you know. Yeah. I love just like I mean Also I,
0: just joking like that.
2: Not- totally. No, but like we actually just went up north for our anniversary and it was like kind of we, I, I oh. did enjoy not doing anything for a little bit. That no, was like makes the first sense, time in a while.
1: Andrew told me about napping yeah. in the sun on the carpet. Yeah. yeah. Which like I
2: still.
0: Dude, who I doesn't just,
1: love a good sunbeam?
0: Let's be real.
2: <laughs> yeah. it's It was great. Honestly, it was really great. I just got to like cook and read and we'd had wonderful wine and beautiful views of like, you know. Um, but yeah, there, it's like I am not very good at just relaxing.
1: How does the, so how did you strike a balance? Cause you said that it's complimentary. It works well now. So what have the two of you done to, to make that balance work out for each of you?
2: I think it was like acknowledging that we're looking for different things. Cause I think in the beginning it was like that immature sense of like, no, we both need to have the same exact experience. And it's like, that's not actually, I mean, that's true of like any kind of relationship, right? Like you grow through realizing that you're different people and that's a good thing. Um, but I think like I'm still working on this part. Uh, but just like finding like I said this last week, it was like, oh, this is actually really nice having unscheduled time. Um not that I'm like a super itinerary person. I usually like to like have a plan and then deviate it. Yeah. As life like or as it as the trip goes. Outline.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um but I'm the one like making the reservations and like you know mm-hmm. making sure buying tickets and stuff. Um,
1: it's literally the same dynamic that Marnie and I have, where like she would, she'd like to chill. But what we learned, and it's part of why I'm asking, is that she actually does kind of like to do it that way more than she imagined before she started traveling with me. Like, oh shit, I think I was missing some stuff. Yeah. But also being able to understand that it's okay to not run around like your fucking head is on fire the whole time you're on a trip.
2: Actually, like, on our honeymoon, we were, we did, like, we were in Paris, we were in Lyon, and we were in London, and um, when we got to Lyon, we didn't, it was actually my first time in Lyon, and we did not um, realize that when we got there on Sunday, that for Sunday and Monday, like, most things were going to be closed, and I like I was just, it was a really busy time with work. And so I hadn't actually made a lot of plans and realized really quickly you need reservations and you know whatever. But we had this beautiful apartment that we had rented and we were just, we just had good wine and cheese all afternoon because everything was closed in the afternoon. Um, or like we just, or it was just a very quiet time. It was also in the winter. And it was a situation where um, we got to just be fully present and enjoying and letting seeing like the sun move across you know the room basically um and then we you know we explore later on and we got to do a lot of amazing things in leon but um yeah there definitely have been those times where i'm like he's teaching me to slow down and then um i think i'm all the time giving him this like kind of jolt of energy of like come on, let's go, you know, come on, come on. Um, And I think, (laughs) I don't know, like I think you would say that that's been really beautiful for you too. Yeah. So I think we bounce like in some way, like really complimentary um, just in our everyday life. And then when we're like, oh, we get to now enjoy some time off, um, we push each other in the right directions.
1: That's cool. That's great. I think all of us are in uh relationships in in marriages where there's a great deal of contrast mm-hmm. and it's complimentary mm-hmm. right right
0: so, how do yeah, you answer that it's very very similar mm-hmm. uh jenny will always seek out the best coffee period so i know that my morning is starting out because she will also then with coffee then it's where's the best pastry And then where's the best pastry? Like, where do we get the best cheese? (laughs) So my morning is, is set. And even when I was in the service industry and like before noon was in, like, I couldn't even understand the concept of before noon when we would go on vacation, seven, 8. AM was totally fine. Mm. Like she did a great job at that. And then her and I would sort of like compile, like what we thought for like the day. And then I would try and like soak up the night Mm. and, that was, I, I I mean, we may well be 14 years for us together and 10 married, and I love that aspect of it, but it's been fascinating because as we've aged into a couple, like we've started to cross over. Mm-hmm. Like, honestly, because of this podcast and because of my friendship with Charles and then getting to know all of the coffee folk that we've had on here and Tim Wendelblow, who I've talked about on the show a number of times, like getting to know him through social media, I've gotten more obsessed with coffee. And so now, Hey, all right. Also like I work a day job now. So I'm, I'm up in the morning, like 7am is Mm. pretty normal for me. So it's like, all right, well, we're all shifting. I'm still going to be like the, here's like eight spots. We should go for dinner. That will never not be me. But I love that. Like, that's how things have started to change is like now I'm more invested in the morning and I love the morning. Like I, I, I dig it. I still can't quite give up my night Mm -hmm. when everyone else is asleep. That's that, that nine to 11, nine to 1130. I don't know. I just don't know what I can possibly do to give up that time because that is me time. No work emails, no texts, my wife is asleep. Like everyone I know is, but oh, okay, no one loves those, dos, especially when traveling. You know, well, but that's, that's, like that's why I like, I like when we were in New York,
1: we were able to yep, do both. Yep, like, let's it was it was coffee. perfect.
0: Yeah, and that's that's I think that's just what my life is going to be. I think I will probably exist going forward in the six and a half to seven hours of sleep, mm-hmm. where I can go to bed at eleven thirty or midnight, and I can get up at seven a.m. or seven thirty, and I think that's just. Yeah. That's just where I will be the happiest because I have to have that last little chunk of time. Yeah. And even on vacation, I'll still do it. Like when Jenny and I were in Norway, uh, she would go to bed at nine nine, and we were exhausted. I mean, we had 35 to 40,000 steps every day. And on top of it, we still had to end every day at the top of a fifth floor walk up <laughs>
3: yeah.
0: like old school, eighteen seventies. Big-ass, like, stone stairs. And I was still like, yeah, I got to set up for, like, two more hours. And I got to, like, I got to read something dumb. I I got to settle my brain down. I got to do whatever I can to shush this all up. (laughs) But she is the one that introduced me to the glory of what mornings can have. I've had coffee before. I've had croissants before. I've had all that shit. But it was literally, I remember the moment. It was the second day of our honeymoon in Paris. We did half Paris, half Marrakesh, Morocco. Mm. It was the second morning of our honeymoon. We got up early in the morning, and we got fresh fucking croissants. Mm. And then we got a beautiful coffee. And then we got a little bit of chocolate. And then we got another like some sort of like profiter that I don't even know what it was, but it was incredible. And I was like, if this is what the morning has to offer, let's fucking go.
3: <laughs>
0: and I love the fact that for my entire teens, 20s, and probably first two years. So from let's say let's say arguably from 19 to 31, the only sunrise I saw. Was at the tail end of my night, mm. and she helped teach me that it's way sexier, yeah, on that front. And I love watching the sun set as well, mm-hmm. but getting up in the morning and taking in your day, yeah, as the Sunset's sun is introducing itself. Yeah. Oof, man, that's there's there's not a whole lot sexier than that. Yep. So that that was it. Like she taught me how to appreciate mornings. And it's shifted how we vacation together now.
2: I love that. So cool.
0: What you,
1: nerd? (laughs) Brooke's answer was my answer, so I don't really (laughs) have one. I, I got pretty well sniped. Yeah, so when Marnie and I started traveling together, I struggled with the fact that, like, we were in Portland, and I'm like a reactive puppy. I'm darting in every direction, like, oh, we got to go. We have to do the things. And I would have to go do coffee by myself on our earlier trips. But we eventually found commonality in her discovering that she wants to do more than she did, but not as much as I do. And I discovered that I probably don't even want to do as much as I think I want to do. Yep, I just have the, I've, I've had historically this perpetual fear of not experiencing everything that I can, not knowing if if I'll ever be back here again. That's always been my travel personality. It's like, sure, I may have been here before, and yes, I may come here again someday, but I don't know that for sure. Mm -hmm. And me meeting her halfway, I think, for the first time was on our honeymoon when we were traveling through Spain, and we were in San Sebastian, and we had reservations and stuff. We were going to Arzac, and cruising around town and eating food all fucking day long and we had a day where i had that reactive dog mindset
0: of <laughs> here is the 13 things i want to do today The reactive dog mindset is so real because that's me too. (laughs) Yeah. I know. I know. We've traveled together. It works. (laughs) It actually works really well.
1: That's why you, now, Derek, is my work husband. Sorry, Derek. It's because when we travel together, we both want to do everything Uh all the time. (laughs) Derek doesn't like late night stuff. (laughs) He does like super early morning. He does like super early morning. But you didn't have trouble getting coffee with me. So actually, you know, it works really well.
0: If I have a reason to get up in the morning, (laughs) I'm into it. What I don't like is that people are like, let's get up at 5 a.m. and then they just, sit there i'm like okay no we're not yeah i would take (laughs) if it's just sitting around and like turning on like cnn i just want to go i'm gonna go back to bed but if we're gonna go do something then let's fucking roll
1: absolutely so that that um meeting meeting marnie in the middle was one day in san sebastian we were like i think we mutually arrived at this idea that there are so many awesome shops around here butchers and little shops full of jars and cheese mongers. Why don't we do a picnic in our hotel room? And that's something Pick a that, that's a, a picnic I missed. Pick I didn't miss a, a syllable. <laughs> 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 so that's something I would have never agreed to. Even yeah. like six, seven years ago, I would, I would have been like, that's patently absurd. We should eat at a restaurant where we can be served food that we can't be served where we live. But I think that, the marriage of our values was me realizing, well, there's also a lot of food here that we can't get at home. So cool, let's walk around the city and collect all of our favorite things, the piparas and the cured meats and the cheeses and breads, yes. and wine. So we went to like five different shops, mm. came back, laid out a sheet where we were like, hopefully they don't want the deposit for that because it's gonna be it's gonna have. Like meats on it and stuff and we just made a little picnic in the room popped some wine opened the
0: balcony up charles i don't There's know a... if you know what everybody else does in hotel rooms nope. but i'm gonna guess that charcuterie <laughs> on the sheets <laughs> isn't quite even gonna relate i already knew it's not even I... gonna rank I... <laughs>
2: okay. I mean it should Thank you, you. know
0: like charcuterie Charcutes on the sheets don't get me wrong would buy that jazz album <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just saying that's not yeah whatever whatever blue thanks Dad okay so
1: we had a, so we had we had a picnic in our hotel room and that was it and we went to sleep right after yes so make you happy yeah. <laughs>
0: hey, whatever you want to do man oh god that's fucking <laughs> I love it <laughs> wait is this salumi no no no, no we have mm. to fu- we have to we have to charge them. <laughs> Chuckling and slow jams.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> Too good. Uh, I would. I would. Uh, I would attend a hotel party called Mortadella and Metal. Mm. Well, Metal Della. You weren't invited. Mean, <laughs> <So, you know, laughs> I guess <laughs> sheets are dry. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> sheets are <were>
3: dry.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, <coughs> sorry. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Here we are. Uh. <laughs> Oh, uh, sorry. Are we here? I just kept yeah, thinking yeah. about T-shirts that I, I wore. Oh, come on.
1: Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Airbrush tank tops.
0: All right, well, so <laughs> if we're, if we're going to bring it back into the station at this are point. Are we? Okay. I think I think we are, right? Isn't <laughs> yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, I do, you know, Brooke, you actually, you talked about something earlier, and um, it was congruent with something that I was... Uh, uh, wonderful conversation that i had yesterday um talking about the sun setting Mm uh i think I, i just want to throw this out there as an idea and if you two want to weigh in agree disagree whatever i think that if we want to get into like who we are as the organic animals that we are on this planet there's always going to be something very important about a sunrise and a sunset and whether that uh, that means warmth to you, whether that means safety to you, whether that means the end of of work or toil for you, mm-hmm. I think it's an it's an important thing to think about. And um, I don't know, like six or seven months ago, I got clued into an experience. Uh, there's a band from Minnesota where we are recording right now in the U.S. called Low, and I don't know, fucking 15 years ago, they put a song out called Cue the Strings. It's a very, very beautiful song. It's a very, very slow song. And I had always listened to it in my car or I had listened to it like in a bar. I had listened to it in my house. This sounds like a Dr. Seuss riddle. It's not. (laughs) Uh, What I had never done was listen to it with headphones on. And uh, what the song does and I promise you there's a point to this. What the song does is it, you can hear it in both ears, but it starts mainly on the left side. And the idea of it is if you're looking south, that that's the sunrise. And as the song progresses, it slowly works its way across the top of your head. And then at the very end of it, it ends in your right ear with the last, uh, the last line of uh, here is the cold sunrise. And it's opposite in what you would think, or if you really wanted to work on the cold sunrise, you could actually pretend that it was the sun going the opposite way and then basically rising. But the idea of it is that sunrise and sunset are so important to us as metaphors and also as reality. It's a gorgeous song, and i if any of you are music fans, please listen to that. But the whole point of that song, to me, and the whole point of it across poetry, across movies, across songs, across all art, is the sun gives us light, and any time that you can take in a sunrise or a sunset, whether you've stayed up for the sunrise or you've woken up for the sunrise, whether you've stayed up for the sunset or woken up for the sunset, wherever, whatever it may be, it will remind you of your place in this world. And I think that's, I I wish more people would understand the beauty of a sunrise or a sunset. It can be a metaphor for your life. It can just be the fact that it's ducking behind some hills, whatever it may be. But re-listening to that song reminded me of how important that is and getting to reference it today charles like my favorite memory of last year honestly was sitting on that bridge waiting for that sun to come up with you in copenhagen and we weren't doing anything important we weren't talking about literally anything important your wife was already very responsibly handing out waters to everybody just to make sure that everybody I, I had 52
1: courses that night. I had to watch exactly. Surprise. I had 50 at the Alchemist, and you double-fisted, dual-wielded, you double dual-wielded
0: dual Shorva. <laughs> but, but that that moment, I don't know. I I I would I would love everyone out there listening. We like, just watch. Hey, he what he's trying to say
1: is watch pro
0: wrestling
1: yeah. live from Perth, Australia, with your rapper friends because we did watch
0: this. Well, you you stole my punchline to it. That's that's what I was gonna say. Was I think that if you if you think about it, at somewhere in your life, there's a sunrise or a sunset.
1: God fucking damn it! There it is. God fucking damn it!
0: There's there is a sunrise or a sunset that will affect you. There's something that sits in your brain that's like it's attached to one of your favorite memories. I love that. And honestly, what I was gonna end it with was. That was one of my favorite moments was after all the dumb shit we had talked about and all the bad food, not bad, but like maybe we shouldn't be eating this at four in the morning food. Uh, It was really fun to look out and be like, oh shit, there's a sunrise. It was the first time that I had any idea that reality was still happening. Yeah. We were drinking alcohol
1: and then I went home and made coffee and started cooking again for the dinner (laughs) the next
0: night. I was like, what is my life? I took a 45 minute nap and then also cleaned and still did a ton of shit.
1: Yeah, I, I did that in the afternoon. I felt more tired for doing
0: it. Yeah. But
2: it's like you made those beautiful moments happen, you know? That's, That's like, what it is. Yeah.
0: That's all you got to do. So, uh all right. So, Brooke, how do people find out about your dinner parties? How do they contact you? What yeah. would you like people to know about you?
2: Totally. Um yeah, so I've been doing like a series of pop ups in random places with collaborations with different chefs um, in Minneapolis and also in France <laughs> once in a while. Um, I have a website that's brookfadri.com. That's my name.
0: Can you spell that for folks?
2: Yes. So it's Brooke, B R O O K E, and then Faudre, F A U uh, D R E E. It's a French name no one knows how to pronounce. <laughs>
1: will be linked in the description too.
2: And uh, I also post kind of you know, somewhat frequently on Instagram. Also, it's at Brooke Faudry. Um, My company is called Quince, like the fruit. And I've kind of been transitioning just to, like, being known by my name, even though I still have my company name, um, just because I do a lot of fun food things. And um, so that's where you can find me. Um, Yeah, I'm doing a fun, like, Japanese French sushi pop-up. In a couple of weeks, mm. um, it's the second series with an awesome chef what and fucking Bosca. <sniffs> yeah, God, I love Bosca.
0: Is the man?
2: He's amazing, and it's super fun. And like, so yeah, I just I've been doing some fun things like that, and then um, still do you know uh, private events as well as a lot of kind of just like yeah food projects. So there's like recipe development or food styling. Um, I get to play with food. <laughs>
0: That's awesome. Killing it. If there's one food or wine that you would want somebody to try, that maybe they haven't tried,
2: one or both of those,
0: you, you pick. If there's just um, take a bite of this or take a sip of this, the bottle she has that no one can have. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh yeah, no, these are so such big questions, but let me. Jeez. Oh. Yeah, um, something that they might not have tried. Ugh, it's just so hard. I feel like it's yeah. like anything well, that you have tried that maybe, that you haven't, that has maybe you have a stigma against. Sure. Whatever, and, whatever. And like, yeah, that's like, try it well prepared, you know, and see it with new light. But let me think. 100%. Um, man. So
0: I just, I literally, I just took a sip of, uh, uh, basically strictly Burgundian Sauvignon Blanc. And, yeah it reminded me of all the, like I've been, of course, because of the market, like I'm looking at sales, right? So New Zealand Sauvignon Blancs are screaming through the roof. But that's not what, it's sort of the same way that like we look at IPAs, right? Like once hazy IPAs took off, they're like, oh, that's what it tastes like. And you're like, eh, mm-hmm. <laughs> hold on. And I have been walking around like a weird ass fucking evangelist with a bottle of true French like Sauvignon Blanc and just be like, please drink this. Mm-hmm. Like, please just this is this is what what we were. And I'm nothing against that. The the skyrocket of New Zealand. I'm all about too. I enjoy that flavor. Mm-hmm. But holy fuck, this is delicious. And yeah. that was like it just reminded me of like, okay, I have to I have to also be the the person who brings the things that I love with him in his backpack wherever i go mm-hmm. so that was that was one for me that i'm just like mm, just a reminder this is what this tastes like
3: mm.
2: yeah i love that i know people like remember that like wine is like kind of like a sauce right mm-hmm. like i mean yeah it really matters what you're eating with it and mm. we compartmentalize it too much right facts man oh, there are so many things i'm just like i love when i love introducing Thing, like food to people that they've, they've never tried before, you know, and it's like,
1: something. yeah, what was the booby pastry? What was that fucking thing?
0: <laughs> man, that was so close to a spit take. We almost had our first on, like, sp- I just was not picturing. Oh, I'll get you. I wasn't I picturing those man. words coming out of your mouth, Charles. <laughs> yeah, what's I the do? booby pastry, though? Yeah, what's
2: oh, it? that's St. Agatha's breast. Well,
1: Andrew would have spit take if he had some in his mouth because like, he's losing it up <laughs>
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a Sicilian um, traditional cake that yeah. uh, I made at a party, a holiday party.
1: Yeah, Hennessy's.
2: Yeah.
1: Our friends who are in France right
0: now. Hey. Yeah, in, fuck in, fuck in em.
3: Leon. <laughs>
0: Jerks. Also, oh. Powell, you are a coward because you said you were going to bum rush this episode and you Ooh. fled the country. Wow. We got him.
1: Fled the country. We got him. <laughs> fled the country. But okay, so it's uh, yeah. Sicilian...
2: It's a Sicilian pastry that is traditionally made like for St. Agatha's feast day. And this is like a saint that had her breasts like chopped off. And so, you know, in memory of this Roman saint uh, in Sicily, they make these pastries that are a beautiful, um, it's like um, kind of a shortbread or like a a dough that is encasing ricotta and sometimes marzipan Mm. and dark chocolate and then um iced with like a, like a like a royal icing and then topped with a cherry and they're actually delicious and really fun at parties
0: <laughs> oh, i can agree picture. it's <laughs> uh, uh estelle getty in golden girls like picture this sicily 1915 yeah they're making cakes in my boobs <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Exactly. i
2: didn't imagine a tray of all of it, you yep. know th- that's the fun part uh-huh. and yeah they're yeah I, I, when I first heard about that, I was like, yeah, I'm making this for Christmas.
0: That's the joy with uh, <laughs> yeah. religious torture and murder is that 200 or 300 oh. years later, you get very fun snacks. Made yeah, very
2: you. fun snacks. Only in romance cultures that are like, <laughs> oh, yes, we will make this like, enjoyable somehow <laughs> yeah, for <right>. <laughs> <laughs> And it's going to be
1: pastry. <laughs> it's making a pastry. You do. <laughs> it's making a pastry.
0: That's bizarre.
1: I want to say periwinkles. Go to Paris, eat some periwinkles. I
0: know you don't know what that is. Eat them anyways. Yeah, they're delicious. <laughs> uh anything else you want to throw out there charles nah nah all right well uh hey we got lots of fun stuff coming up on the youtubes we finally got our first cut and i feel like uh we're getting ready to post some shit uh but in the interim we have a lot of really incredible guests coming up uh it's gonna be rad comedians chefs musicians all kinds of shit so hey uh just keep listening and Thank you. Again, if you would be so kind, please just give a little review. Just give a little boop something. Yeah, what's
1: with you people? Click the fucking I'm gonna get a negative review Just click the <laughs> click the star. You don't what's have to. What's with type you anything. fucking people? Yeah, yeah. Okay. There are a lot of you. I'm not gonna say how yeah. many because then we sound
0: like assholes, but just yeah. click
1: that click the star, the one on the on That's the it. on the right side. You don't have to make click, words. <laughs> click
0: the star to the yeah. furthest right. Like, like y'all take a Uber. You don't even have to tip us. Hold on, in Europe, Just or do the stars, the stars go in the other direction? Fuck, hold oh, Or top no. to bottom, who knows? <laughs> uh, <laughs> what are we even doing? Ah, <laughs> either way, we love you and we'll figure it out. Peace.